Hello. Welcome. Happy yeah. holidays. I know yeah. that Christmas, <laughs> as you are a Jewish, as, as previously stated. A, as I am a Jewish, um, but I am a Jewish who does celebrate Christmas with my family. So fantastic. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I mean, by celebrate Christmas, like we spend about 10 minutes opening presents and then we're like, okay, I don't know, want, want some breakfast? All right. Yeah. That's pretty much Christmas in the milder house. Yeah, so. it's not dissimilar in the Empuero household. <laughs> Hi, everybody. My name is Amelia Empuero. This is the, I was about to say, the ugliest. <laughs> <laughs> Amelia's, uh, Amelia's checked out for the holidays, apparently. Yeah, I'm done. I have a don't email me <laughs> sign up on me. Uh, this is the weirdest thing podcast. Yep. And uh, we have a special, we have another special after school after school special, let me try that again. After school special episode for you guys today. Yeah. But uh, before we get into it, I just want to say I think we should mention the amazing news that you and I received yesterday. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> do you want to, yes. do you want to spill it? Uh, yes. Again, as you all know, this has now become a Yellow Jackets stands <laughs> podcast. Uh, and it was announced yesterday that they've been renewed for a season two yeah thank god because if it hadn't been picked up so uh, scotty i don't know if you know this but apparently the showrunners have planned for five seasons i i read that i think after i saw that they had picked it up because my when it first started i have had the feel of like oh this is going to be a limited series you know yes like, you know uh, you know kind of like mayor of east town like get episodes one and done kind of thing but then as we're getting into it i'm like i don't know this story is getting so complicated how are they going to wrap this up and it's interesting because uh again <laughs> one of my favorite pastimes has become uh spending time in the yellow jacket subreddit there's a lot there's a lot happening yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but there are a lot of people who are like i don't understand how this season how this idea can last for five seasons and i'm like oh i i, I think see. there's a yeah i mean especially since they set it up with the thing of they don't again premise high school soccer team girls soccer team on their way to nationals plane crashes in the canadian wilderness and they're stranded in the canadian wilderness for 19 months right that alone i think is what makes it is that it's like well we have yeah. over a year and a half of them out right. there so i actually do think that they can do you know like a tight five especially since this mm -hmm. isn't we're not looking at like west wing right seasons where it's like 22 <laughs> or, episodes or like lost i mean that was the problem with lost is it's like you know they had to do 20 some episodes a season for what seven eight seasons yeah like there's going to be a lot of filler and a lot of just like i don't know let's go down this direction remember for that extra that we saw in the pilot what if we did a whole season about what they've right. done in their life <laughs> yeah and it's like no nobody wants that I don't think I don't think that like there's a real big risk of that because it is like you said it's a Showtime show so it's what eight ten episodes I think it's eight episodes I a season 
I think this one, I think at least the first one is slated for 10 episodes. Is it? Okay. I think. So, I mean, that seems very doable. And and the story is getting complex enough that, like, they're adding in enough little elements that it's like, this could definitely. Now, they could ride it off the rails. Like, we'll see, like, mid-season three or something. (laughs) If all of a sudden we're in time loops and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) At which point, uh, this will still be a a Yellow Jacket Stands podcast. um, And it'll probably be like, have to deal with it. It could turn into like a Yellow Jackets hate watching podcast. It might do that, which is, I think, what I definitely what I am doing, but I think also what everybody is doing with uh, and just like that, which is the Sex in the City. Yeah. It's not a reboot. Uh, it's like a sequel ish, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I haven't watched it. I'm, I'm, I've been I'm, sort of thinking I should, but then I'm seeing such like mixed stuff from people that I'm, and I'm like, I, I liked Sex in the City, but I was mm-hmm. never like a big fan. And then mm-hmm. a lot of people have talked about how it just like really doesn't hold up. That I'm like, I don't know how interested I really am. Okay. Here's the thing that I have to say. And this is, this is a hot take. <laughs> Guys, Sex in the City was not good. It was <laughs> it was like revolutionary for its time mm-hmm. in the late 90s of like women in their like mid 30s, not married, having sex. Mm-hmm. But go back and watch the series through a 2021 lens. And it is it, it, it like I think this is the thing that's making me laugh about and just like that is that everybody's like, it's so like, you know, it doesn't even hold up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, neither does the first one. Mm -hmm. The characters are still the same characters. And I, for one, at least respect that the writers and the showrunners are acknowledging that like the original series was complete completely white that there were like three characters of color four four characters of color out throughout the series and they were you know all of them were in relationship to the women Mm -hmm. we're not going to recast carrie charlotte or miranda right and so like yeah put them in situations where they're having to deal with the 2021 world but it's not that different guys like it's really not the show was fun and funny and all of those things but I don't know. I, I, I'm i just like, it, it wasn't as good as we remember it being. Yeah. I mean, I haven't gone back and rewatched Sex in the City um, in, I mean, 15 years or something. But like, just my memory of it is like, oh, I can imagine how insufferable that show could feel now. Yes. It's like when I go back and watch Friends, yeah. which I still enjoy, but it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I kind of hate all of these people. <laughs> it's that thing about like, 90 sitcoms where it was all like kind of people you wanted to punch in the face who lived in big cities being real snarky all the time mm-hmm. and like that was their character and that was it yeah and like i feel like if i went back and rewatched sex in the city it would have a lot of that feel yeah i mean you know you like you know my beef with main characters mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, for anybody who doesn't know this, I frequently find main characters insufferable. I think yeah, we'll get to that in uh, today's episode. But we may continue. Oh, fantastic! Okay, yeah. but yes, like I think Carrie is a pill. Um, I think Buffy was a pain in the ass. Uh-huh. I think Harry Potter is an asshole. Like <laughs> I, I like there is a lot of stuff where I'm just like the main characters are frequently the cause of all of the problems mm-hmm. in these in these stories and you know and that continues to I, I just feel like i'm like i don't know why everybody's talking about it that like it's well, so different and it's, like 
It's the exact same thing. It's just not. Well, and like you said, I haven't watched it, but I'm just going off of what you've said. Like, okay. uh, like it's it's interesting, the idea that they're acknowledging that these characters were kind of unsufferable 20-some years ago, and they're, yeah. like, just now confronting the fact that they're, like, unsufferable people. Yeah. And like, that's actually kind of, like, that's more interesting to me. Like, do you remember... I don't think it really went anywhere, but like Hulu did that remake of the movie High Fidelity. Um, yes. But they cast Zoe Kravitz. Yes. And like, I think a big complaint about the show was like, okay, they're trying to like deal with the way that that movie was so like kind of white centric by just like, let's just drop in a black woman, and, but right. have her be the exact same character right. without any actual like thought behind it. And again, I didn't see it. So I, I don't know. I'm just going back. I watched the about half said. of it. And like, it seems like, you know, they could have done a version of Sex in the City where it's like, let's do a reboot where we recast it with like a diverse cast, but we sort of do the same show. And it's like, that's kind of not a very honest show, actually. And it sounds like at least what they're trying to do with this new one is do something that's more honest, like whether it's good or not is a different question. But it's like they're at least trying to honestly kind of deal with the legacy that they created, you know, not like pretend that it didn't exist and let's start over. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's a little bit of the argument that I have in terms of, uh, you know, when people are like, I want to see like I want to see a black little woman. And I'm like, I don't because that story like I want to see what black women right during that time we're doing but i don't want you to just drop in black characters into these shows because that feels like tokenism to me exactly like hey okay here you go there's here so like i i don't know that i want to see like (laughs) like you said sort of like sex in the city but done today i'm I'm like i would if we if i have look if i have to be made to deal with (laughs) the thing of like three to four unbelievably beautiful and wealthy women like just keep it I don't I don't want I don't want to do it all over again I think there's mm-hmm. other stories to tell in there and that's why I think you know stuff like Issa Rae's Insecure I think there are shows out there um right. Hentified I think that there are shows that are telling stories about diverse communities mm-hmm. um and like let's let them do that but I don't know that we need to be like let's try I would rather see this reanimated corpse of sex in the city mm-hmm. than like a different reanimated corpse of right. sex in the city I right. guess is what right. I'm saying yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I guess we should maybe get back to what the very special (laughs) episode is. Yeah. So even though... I gave the big news, so you do it. I was going to say, even though I am a Jewish, uh, we are doing a Christmas (laughs) episode. (laughs) Yes. We're talking about three movies uh, that I think have been widely accepted as Christmas movies, but are also like controversially Christmas movies. Yeah, I think they're like alt Christmas movies. Right, exactly. So there, yeah, there is a little bit of like question. I think people have very, I think depending on what kind of Christmas camp you fall into, Mm -hmm. uh, widely varying opinions on whether or not these movies are Christmas movies. Um, So today, Scotty and I are going to discuss them. And just to let you all know, our word is final on the Mm -hmm. subject. So yeah. There will be no argument after this. But we what if, are not asking for opinions. Please don't give them. <laughs> but what if you and I don't agree? That's fine. Okay. But then, then it's still like an open question. But if we come down solidly, then that's like, no, uh, we will broke no disagreements. Like, <laughs> exactly. Don't add us. Yeah. This is not up for debate. Basically, we are right. You are wrong. And right. uh, move on with your life. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think so. Before we get into it, like, do you want to? Because you might know more than me. You're talking about the camps of Christmas movies. Do you want to try and define like like the cam- the Christmas movie camp that maybe would not accept the movies that we're talking about today? Right. Well, I think what you have are um, the way I kind of see it is you have uh, like the Christmas traditionalist or purist, and mm-hmm. those people are going to for them Christmas movies are going to be like it's a wonderful life mm-hmm. miracle um, on whatever 34th street, street yeah. muppets Cri- christmas carol christmas a story. christmas story yeah, yeah going to be very traditional christmas movies and then i think you get into another camp where it is not quite so i don't know i guess like americana like it veers mm-hmm. away from the sort of americana idea of christmas and i think stuff like nightmare before christmas falls into that mm-hmm. um yeah because uh, I've, I've definitely seen the argument about people try to be like it's not a christmas movie it's a halloween movie i'm like i think it's both i think, I think it can, can be can both, both. Yeah. yeah so the three movies that we are going to discuss today and again our word on these are final mm-hmm. is the 1984 classic gremlins, mm-hmm. the 1988 classic die hard. Mm-hmm. And then the 1990, I'm going to say classic for me, but I know Scotty feels differently. Edward Scissorhands. <laughs> yes. Sp- uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, okay. Do we want to go in chronological order? Yeah, let's, I think that's, that's a good way to do it. Cause I think we're going to have probably a little bit of a fight about Edward Scissorhands. So okay, like, so maybe why don't we, we hold that, that. For the end? <laughs> Right, 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 right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So uh, just to let you know what we did, Scotty and I each uh, rewatched each of these movies and we're going to, we're, we're going to discuss, well, there, there'll probably be some cool trivia in here, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, and some interesting things. And I think probably sort of our ideas as the movie as a whole. And then I guess we can kind of figure out whether or not uh, we think they can live, they can take their space in the pantheon of Christmas movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, that, well, I guess we'll dive in. So, uh, Gremlins 1984, directed yeah. by the amazing Joe Dante. Yes. Of Inner Space and the Burbs fame. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Just in case we have anybody on here who is not familiar with the movie Gremlins, it's a story uh, about the movie opens with the father, Randall. What is their last name? Oh, God. What is, yeah, it's uh, Randall. What is it? Something Randall? something German. I think. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's Randall Prax. Pa- pra- hmm. What the I'm heck is that? <laughs> okay, you look it up while while I finish with this. So, uh, movie opens Peltzer. with the- Randall Peltzer. Peltzer. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and he's like wandering through a sort of uh, generic Chinatown in a big city, mm-hmm. looking for. I think it starts with a voiceover too, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like, "Well, this is how this happened." Uh, yeah. And he's wandering through a, a generic Chinatown in a big city, looking for a Christmas gift for his son. He wanders into a store. It's all very like steeped in orientalism he meets uh an old man and uh who's simply billed as grandfather mm-hmm. in the uh in the imdb and that's where he finds uh this little creature it's called a mogwai is that how mm-hmm. you say it yeah. um who is like a, a this adorable little 
furry creature, Randall decides to, he's like, oh, this will make a fantastic present, takes it home to his family. There are three rules that you have to adhere to with a mogwai, and that is no bright light, Mm -hmm. don't get him wet, and no, absolutely, absolutely no food after midnight. Right. Um, Takes him home to his son, Billy, who is played by Zach Zach Galligan, um, who's just like nerdy dreamboat, you know what I mean? Yeah, I want to talk- we're going to talk a little bit about Billy as we get into Yeah, it. yeah, me too. Classic 1980s, like, nerdy dreamboat. Uh, mm. Has a kind of a suddenly Seymour, Little Shop of Horrors vibe. To- totally, him. totally, yeah. Um, and, you know, Randall gives Billy... Uh, Mogwai, they name him Gizmo, um, and hijinks ensue when all of it's all of the things that you all should of the not. Rules are broken. <laughs> yes, all yeah. of the rules are broken. Uh, we have appearances by Phoebe Cates, who is like peak Phoebe Cates, right? Mm-hmm. Is that her name? Phoebe Cates. Yep. Uh, in this movie, she's just like lovely and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. There's also it, uh, what's interesting, I think, about this movie too is that it it is. It starts as like a really kind of a traditional Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It takes place in this like little American town. And uh, it, it feels like it's going in the vein of It's a Wonderful Life. Like there's a terrible mean lady, Mrs. Deagle. And she like terrorizes the town with her greed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's like the cute and plucky kid played by like an, like an adorable Corey Feldman. Like just mm-hmm. a baby faced Corey Feldman. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, shit basically hits the fan when all of the rules are broken. Yeah. And, and by the way, I'm going to put it out there. Uh, let me know if you disagree. These movies are 30 to almost 40 years old. I don't think we should worry about spoilers. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. Yeah. But like, if, that... if, if you're, if you're real concerned about us spoiling the movie gremlins for you, <laughs> yeah, like you I don't, don't know, know what happens to the Mogwai. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And that was more just because I could feel myself starting to be like, and so then Billy goes to his job at the bank and I was like, this doesn't need to be like a play <laughs> right. by play of the movie. Yeah. No, um, you said it, you set it up well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, there we go. So yeah, I, if, if you want to remain unspoiled for any of these movies, I guess like we'll catch you next time. Yeah. Question mark. <laughs> uh, just one uh, last little bit of trivia. If you yeah. don't mind me throwing in the original story and script was written by Chris Columbus, who of course became much better known later for home alone. Mm. And then uh, the first two Harry Potter movies. That's right. Um, and it was originally written to be like an intense horror movie. Yeah. Reading mm-hmm. some of the stuff about it, I was like, oh, they were going to get very. Yeah. Like like Billy's mom was going to get killed and uh, Stripe was going to throw her head at him down the stairs. Yeah. Like, the dog was going to die. Like, yeah, it was like, bad. It was, it was like a horror movie. And I think it was when Spielberg, Steven Spielberg stepped in uh-huh. to be. Oh, also um, Gizmo, the, the cute mm-hmm. little mogwai. Yes. Um, was actually going to become Stripe the Gremlin. Like, right. You know, so all of those things. It was, it was, um, and even the word Mogwai apparently is Cantonese for evil spirit. That's, yes. Which I didn't know until reading about it just this yep. week. Um, yep. Uh, but then Spielberg got involved and like Spielberg did. 
So yeah. <laughs> I think probably for the better. We didn't need another like ghoulies or critters or you know yeah, one of those. I, yeah, and I think I think that's the thing, is that actually I think he I I do think that he steered it in a in a good direction. Mm-hmm. Um also last know, little I, bit of trivia just real quick is uh the father, Randall Peltzer, is played by a famous folk singer named Hoyt Axton. Right. He what's his big song? Uh, one of them was cocaine. <laughs> he did a song no. called cocaine, <laughs> uh, but he also wrote um, the song uh, "Joy to the World." Uh, yes, later performed Thank you. by Three, Three Dog, Dog Night. Night. Yes, yeah. I, I was like, no, that's not that's not the song I'm thinking I of. <laughs> I just like the idea that uh, the the adorable dad in Gremlins was famous for a song called Cocaine. Back yes, in yeah, and he's great. Uh, mm. He's great in this movie. He's a very yeah. like bumbling inventor. His house is filled with sort of like half cocked inventions, uh, none of which work. It, right. It feels like a lot of like what is it, Rube Goldberg? Yeah machines well, it's you know, all like things that it's like you, like like there's an egg cracking machine that doesn't work and i'm like that's not something that's hard like cracking yeah. an egg is well, I mean, that's that what's great about it is be. that all of the inventions are things that you don't need an invention for like, right like the yeah. bathroom buddy and he's like oh it's so easy carry this bathroom buddy and it's like it's the size of one of those 1980s cell phones it's like carrying it a is, brick around to brush it your teeth quite like, big. <laughs> And it like squirts out like shaving cream. And he's like, it's yeah. all right. It's all right. It's he's, fine. He's it wipes right off. Yeah. Yeah. He's anyway. really great. Um, And I think, you know, whatever, I'm sure there's going to be other trivia that we can like pop in, you know, as mm-hmm. we, as we make our way through this. But I will say one of the things that actually did first hit me as I was watching the movie is that I was like, what was it with movies in the eighties having these like little young Asian boys mm-hmm. that were working as like, you know, um, like guides. So we've got the grandson at the beginning of this movie. Mm-hmm. We've got data in mm-hmm. gremlins. Um, I'm not remembering uh, the character's Goonies. name. I'm sorry. Yes. Goonies. Um, <laughs> you're weird. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, weird crossover there. What's his face in Temple of Doom? Uh, short round. Yes. Yeah. Um, and that's something. Yeah, that, they're like, always like young little whippersnapper Asian boys wearing baseball caps. Right. Like, Smart asses. Yeah, it was a very, and I mean, we should just acknowledge that like this movie is, you know, it's 35, almost 40 years old. Well, 38 years old now. And like, there are some things that don't hold up. And again, talking through the lens of 2020 and like the Orientalism of that yeah. uh, Chinatown shop is a little like, by today's Yeah, thing. like grandfather has like the full Fu Manchu and he's mm-hmm. like in the, the sort of very classic, you know, if you think of like oriental costume right he's he's got like one foggy eye yeah it's yeah it's a little like okay i mean at one point they're in the they're in the shop and i don't remember what he says but the father says something and you hear the sound of a gong like on the soundtrack it's like (laughs) yeah yeah there was it's that's an interesting thing too to go back and watch some of these movies is to see the um you know i think we talked about it a little bit in the yellow face episode that there became a time when it was like okay if we are going to have a character be like racist against black people it's going to be very pointed it's going to be very deliberate or if we're going to like show any kind of like stereotypes about black people there's going to be a little bit of like a commentary on it you know Mm-hmm. But it's interesting the way to see, you know, slurs against like Italian people that just get dropped in like every 
80s mm-hmm. movies. And I'm like, what did we have yeah. against Italians back then? Yeah. Um, and then, you know, we see it like the, no. or, you know, the, the mystery of the Orient. And I, I think uh, if I really wanted to, like, I can make an argument that like what Gremlins is about is like ugly Americans going in with their cultural misunderstandings and appropriating. I mean, I think that that's exactly what it's about. To be it's what it's honest. about. <laughs> that said, like just the imagery is like not super progressive but you know it is of its time period so yes it's like you know maybe like big trouble in little china you just kind of you just kind of go with it i guess (laughs) you know or you don't if you don't want to you know yeah and it's uh it's Mm-hmm. It's 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 interesting to to go back and look at this stuff because it feels a little I don't know if it for me as mm-hmm. as not someone of Asian descent it feels a little like circus sideshowy type mm-hmm. of like racism you know what yeah, I mean exactly that it's like you know look how interesting and mysterious and right it's like well i mean but they're also just like people <laughs> yeah exactly uh and, and i think that i mean like the saving graces for gremlins to me are the fact that the grandfather was right from the start mm-hmm. um that the little boy even though he is very like short roundish you know mm-hmm. and this is only like a year or two before spielberg went on to do temple of doom so mm-hmm. it's like it was like trial run i guess but mm-hmm. like he feels like a pretty real little kid to me you know yeah and then when the grandfather shows up at the end like his just grandfatherly disappointment towards the entire pelzer family it was like i was with the grandfather there 100 <laughs> percent. I, yeah. I don't think i'd ever watched this movie before really thinking about how much billy and the whole family just fucked everything up and just fucked up this entire little town uh, yes, I I do have to say though, and maybe maybe now is not the time to say it. I do have to say that the mom she is doesn't. actually I won't put her in that. And the mom no. actually, what I like about the mom character, who is obviously suffering some kind of undiagnosed PTSD <laughs> from being an inventor's wife. Yeah, uh, there's lots of shots of her just like kind of staring into the middle distance um, <laughs> with this like sort of like plastered on smile on her face. Yes, <laughs> but when shit hits the fan. She She's like, okay, this isn't good. And she immediately, she's like, she, she's not like, what, a, huh, what should, but she's like, no, I'm going to throw this one in the microwave. I'm going to throw this other one in the meat grinder. I'm going to mm-hmm. th- stab this one. Like she's, she immediately recognizes the threat and mm. then reacts as such. So yeah. I guess, I mean, I guess like we said earlier, <laughs> like spoiler alert, but um, they break all of the rules. What happens when Gizmo gets wet is that he multiplies mm-hmm. and for a moment we have a whole bunch of other gizmos so this cute mm-hmm. little cuddly like there's like things. five other ones or something right yeah. and then they get fed after midnight which mm-hmm. causes them to go into this like pupil stage yeah in which then they morph and become the gremlin and like those cocoons are as terrifying as the like facehugger cocoons in alien it's they're creepy like that's that's the the thing about gremlins and it's part of what i love about like and like full disclosure i love gremlins it's like Mm -hmm. one of those movies that was just like a touchstone for me as a kid watching it as an adult it's like i mean i don't know that i would call it a great movie (laughs) it's but it's a lot of fun but like those mm -hmm. 80s movies that were kind of for kids but also just like wildly like inappropriate like i missed that era you know right and i feel like there's there's a couple of points on what you said i think gremlins is a really fun movie i think it's about 15 minutes too long yeah 
I think that they spend a little too much time with the gremlin hijinks, like the bar scene when they end up at the bar is too long. The mall scene is too long. It gets, the movie theaters. it's like, there's a point at which where it's like, we got it, you know, yeah, and we my, get it. They're like wreaking havoc. Like right. we get it. And yeah. I, I haven't seen gremlins two in a really long time, but my memory is, and I know they're like, there's a lot of love for gremlins too. And I remember enjoying it. Um, yeah, but my memory is it was like all gremlin hijinks, and after a while, oh. even as a kid, I was like, okay, enough with like yeah. the gremlin talk show host, and like you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm having like a recovered memory of this. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah, all of that stuff is like very silly. Like you know, there's a sort of like break dancing, flash dance gremlin in one of yeah, the scenes where I'm like, gremlin where did flasher. She get the sweat? Yeah, like where did she get the sweatshirt and the leg warmers and right. you know. That little stuff. film noir parody and right. like i was watching or i was reading about it and they were talking about how they shot that scene and it was just like they showed up with a bunch of gremlin puppets and they had x number of days to shoot the scene and we're just like let's come up with as much goofy shit as we can think of and when right. you watch it it's like yeah it feels like you were just trying to come up with as much goofy shit as you could think of and yeah. a lot of it's fun but i agree it's like okay yeah <laughs> move the story a, along yeah i will say though that one of the things i think the movie does really well is i actually think it creates like a like a sense of um like it, it builds in a really ominous way until the gremlins like start really losing their shit mm-hmm. like in the time period between when they're fed and then when you like actually see them, everything is done in a way that it because they they were really smart and that it took them a long bit to show the well, actual ground. And see, this is where Joe Dante, the director, I think, mm-hmm. like you see his hand at work because Joe Dante, like, he started as a horror movie director. He started working for Roger Corman, uh, did the movie Piranha. Okay. And then his big breakout film was 1981, the movie The Howling, which is one of my all-time favorite. And it's like right. a straight up werewolf horror movie. Right. Like, super rated R horror movie. And they they employed a couple of tricks with mm-hmm. from The Howling and Gremlins. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the like special effects tricks, you know. And then by the time he got to Gremlins, which I don't, I'm not sure if it was his movie right after The Howling, but it was like shortly after that, yeah. Yeah, just a couple years later. It's like, I think he was finding his kind of specific vibe, which is like you also see in a movie like The Burbs, which is like macabre family comedy. Yeah. But he brings a lot of horror movie tricks to the trade. Right. And you can tell from that, like you said, that whole like pupil stage with the gremlins, even with the soundtrack, we hear that sound on the soundtrack like it's very much it's a straight up horror movie at that point yeah like it's a horror movie for kids which is like you just you can't do that anymore like yeah and that's why i think the movie is interesting because like i said it starts off as a christmas movie it starts Mm. off like firmly as a christmas movie and you know had randall not come home with gizmo it would have been, you know, like, oh, there's a run on the bank and like mm-hmm. that whole thing. Yeah. You know, it would have been the town banding together against oh. Mrs. Deagle, who I did not realize <laughs> until watching this. The actor who plays Mrs. Deagle was Flo mm-hmm. um, from Alice. Like, yeah, of, I didn't know that Kiss either. My Grits fame. I, I read the Wikipedia earlier this week and Ford. was like, who are, who are these actors? Because like I was watching it and I was like, okay, Mrs. Deagle, that's a th- theater trained actor and i was like was Mm -hmm. she like a big broadway star like what was her deal and i read and yeah she did a bunch of theater Mm -hmm. but her big breakout role which she would have been known for at the time was Mm flow yeah which i wouldn't have known yeah and i mean i watched 
Alice when I was younger and watched mm-hmm. Gremlins and like never made the connection. But the yeah. second she showed up on screen, I was like, I know who that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so then went to the IMDb and checked it out. And sure enough. But yeah, I think I do think that the movie has a couple of unsung heroes. Uh-huh. And I think the mom is one. Yeah. I actually think Corey Feldman's character, Peter. He's pretty great. He's also like, okay, you know, there's the whole shot of him like with a slingshot shooting the gremlins yeah. out of his window. And I was like, okay. I love how after um the after they accidentally multiply the gremlins uh-huh. and the stripe bites him. Yes. He's just so pouty. He goes and like pouts on the bed and is like, <laughs> Billy's like, isn't this amazing? And Pete's just like, Yeah, it's real neat. Yeah. No, seriously, it's real neat. I love him so much. Yeah. He's such a little baby in this movie. Like, yeah, this would so... have been just a few years before Stand By Me. So this was, yeah. I think, this was probably like Corey Feldman's kind of breakout. Yeah, he's just adorable. And then honestly, also Phoebe Cates does not do too bad. I think um, I laughed very hard when, so we get the first multiplication of mm-hmm. Gizmo. Those all turn into gremlins. And then one of them, when they 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 like attack the high the school. I don't even think it's a high school because I think yeah. he goes to that school. It's just <laughs> the school. Right. And uh, Billy, I think, ends up kicking one into the pool. Mm-hmm. And so they just, it like starts bubbling and smoking and so, so then it's just like gremlins upon gremlins upon yeah gremlins. it's stripe well it's actually stripe jumps into the pool i think he jumps into the pool yeah that's right he kind of like cannonballs into it doesn't he right i just yeah. remember him like kind of sinking to the bottom you and see like, all the bubbles coming up and it's just yeah. like oh shit's gonna yes get so then it's just yeah. like exponential gremlins running around and yeah. uh and they start taking over everything right like they <laughs> there's some i mean there is there like some of the gremlin hijinks really are quite funny mm-hmm. um they just go on for a little too long but they eventually i guess end up at the bar phoebe cates who works at the bank with billy yeah. she's also a bartender she tends bar in the evenings i was not clear because it's not obviously we'll get to this in a moment it's not her father who owns the bar who owns the bar it's she kind of made it sound clear. like she was working there for free as a favor like she was pitching in it's it's sort of like not that well developed and it almost feels like there there's some stuff with her character that I feel like they need to have the scene missing card like pop up. Right. Because like <laughs> like there's yeah. stuff with her that doesn't quite add up. Just in the writing, right. I think she sells it very well. Yeah, I think actor. she's I think she's doing a great job with what she was she's going above and beyond for the material that she was right i mean i think she's like spoiler alert slash hot take i think the big downfall of this movie is actually billy going going to your previous statement about main characters being kind of the wet blanket in the middle of the movie billy for one thing i'm just like just enough with the fucking puppy dog eyes also like you're a fucking weirdo creeper like your only friend is this little kid and you're clearly in your early 20s you know, like I, for me, I mean, I don't want to, you know, I mean, there might be some arrested development going on there, but possibly. so I won't speak to his, I won't speak to whether or not it's creepy that he's friends with Pete, but I will say that the thing that bothers me the most about Billy, it's like take a normal human's reaction speed and cut it down by at least 50%. Yeah. And that's Billy, like right. something will happen. And then like, he'll watch it. And then he'll like be like, he'll, he'll watch oh, with puppy dog eyes and then he'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, he might be why the movie's too long as well. 
Yeah, but. he he doesn't help. And but in watching it, I was just like, oh man, every time it's focused on Billy, I just want to get back to Phoebe Kate. Right. And that's like, what I was gonna say is that I did love that there was a moment there when the gremlins had taken over the bar where she is legitimately trying to serve them. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense. Like, it makes no sense. She's like trying to pour them beers and like light their cigarettes and stuff. Right. And she's like, don't bite me, don't bite me. And it's just so, I love that those were the two. I mean, it's very like fight or flight, right? Like mm-hmm. mom's reaction was to fight and Phoebe's Killed the shit out was, of some gremlins, yeah. Right. Um, Phoebe's reaction was to sort of fawn, to be like, okay, I'm, here's another beer and here's some more right. peanuts, you know? But she catches on quick. I mean, which is another reason why I like her too, because she tries to light one of their cigarettes and the gremlin, you know, sort of recoils from the match. Mm -hmm. And that's when she figures out like, oh, bright light. So she takes a Polaroid camera and starts snapping pictures so that the flash will sort of uh, make them retreat from her so she can escape. Yeah. Uh, Which is again, smart. Like, you know, you like Billy knows the rules. He could go and grab a couple of flashlights or some torches and, and he doesn't. He's, he's just, like gizmo. He's, he's <laughs> just fairly dumb. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A couple other. Uh, I want to get back to Phoebe Cates uh, real quickly. Um, okay. But I do want to point out a couple other unsung heroes. I sure. think. I just enjoy watching Judge Reinhold in anything. Okay. Like, but also, he just like disappeared. <laughs> oh, he's gone. Like he. And this, I looked it up. Like this was early in his career. Like he wasn't yeah. the Judge Reinhold of Beverly Hills Cop fame. Right. But him and Phoebe Cates had already done Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That is true. But yeah, he shows up and just choose some scenery as like the smarmiest smarm that has ever smarmed and then vanishes. I just assume he got eaten by some gremlins at some point (laughs) off camera. Never see him again. Like he, (laughs) they set him up in the beginning of the movie. Like he's going to be a character. And then you literally never see him. I feel like he's a holdover from when it was going to be a horror script because there had to have been a scene in the horror version of it where that character what's his name it is Gerald. Gus Jerry yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah where he just gets like murdered by gremlins like right because it's setting you up for that payoff and then we never get the payoff we never get it he just and, he literally just disappears yeah and then the other um unsung hero for me is Dick Miller who plays uh, Murray Futterman okay let's talk about that because I know, Mm -hmm. I feel like I know where you're going with this, but also he's got a lot of xenophobia. Yeah. Yeah. No, the character is terrible. Like, I mean, he's he's a terrible person, you know, (laughs) like this whole thing about foreigners and like everything's foreign cars and oh, there's foreign, we should have gotten a Zenith and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But Dick Miller, who, by the way, is like known for being in Joe Dante films. He was like one of Joe Dante's kind of go-tos. He just inhabits that character so fully. Yeah. And then like his big death scene when he gets run over by his American-made tractor. Which... Um, also, side I pause on this because mm-hmm. he's talking a lot about his Kentucky Harvester uh-huh. and he's got it parked out in the driveway and it seems to be his vehicle. Yeah, but which is, again, ridiculous, which is ridiculous. And at first I was like, oh, is it like, is it because he says my plow? And I was like, is it like a snow plow? It's not. It's like an agricultural plow. Right. That he like drives. <laughs> he's around just driving town. around a fucking bulldozer for no yeah, reason. Like it's like it's a like I feel I, like he is. He is like Joe Dante's little wink towards the idea of like America, you know, like. 
Okay. All right. Acceptable. Like, I don't, I don't think you're necessary. Like he's, you're not meant to hate him. He's not set up as a villain, but he's set up as like this totally ridiculous character. Yeah. Um, and it's a thing I love about this movie is the clash of tones because it goes from like silly gremlin hijinks to like dude and his wife getting run over by a tractor. Yes. You know, and like, but I just, I love, I just love Dick Miller as an actor. So like, yeah. I'm happy to see him in any like sleazeball fucking booze hound role. Right. willing to be in at that time right right yeah there i mean and that like the movie has a lot of tonal shifts like i said it starts out as a pretty classic christmas movie then you're like oh my god it's a cute little like creature movie then it's mm-hmm. like oh okay it's this like spooky kind of maybe monster thing and then it's like wait now it's like a weird like darkly funny creature Mm -hmm. feature type of thing and that's very and that's very like i said it's just very joe dante like that was his his kind of sensibility at the time you know Mm -hmm. um like if you go watch a movie and like it worked in gremlins like people loved it but then he went a few years later into the movie the burbs Uh which people didn't know what to fucking make of that movie right because it's like a tom hanks like neighborhood comedy that's also kind of a horror movie that's you know it's got the same kind of clash of tones i love the burbs i haven't seen it in a long time but i loved it as Mm -hmm. a kid but it is it's so weird watching these movies now because i don't feel like you can make a movie like so back to Phoebe Cates, that famous scene of her talking about her father's death yes. is just like, what fucking movie was that dropped in out of? Like, that was not this movie. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's think... a total non sequitur. It does not move the plot along at all. You could like lop it out. And of course, I it's think... my favorite scene in the movie. Right. I love it. I actually think that it works in the movie. I just think that it was put in the wrong place mm-hmm. because Billy is walking Phoebe home and she's like, great, another reason to hate Christmas. And he's like, mm-hmm. what do you mean? It for Okay. And sidebar to this, my God, Billy cannot read a room. Oh like she's like, obviously sad. She's obviously like, fuck this fucking holiday. And he's like, what are you talking about? Everybody loves Christmas. And like, she's like, I fucking hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. You know? And she says the thing too, where he's like, you know, everybody's supposed to be cheery. And she's like, yeah, well, while everybody's being cheery, there are people who want to like open their wrists. Mm-hmm. And like, it's a very dark thing to say. I think the speech should have come no, there. No, there, because it would have set up like, oh, this movie is not going to go in the way you that you think, think it. Yeah. Is. You, I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. If they had put it there, it would have been earned, but mm-hmm. it's just like, they're in the middle of fighting gremlins and they're like looking for stuff in the bank to like fight off gremlins. And she's like, yeah. let me tell you the story with the slow <laughs> zoom in on my face about how my dad think- died. I don't even think that he's like, so why do you hate Christmas? I think she's there. He's like, is there anything in here? And she's like, I was nine years old. And it's like, wait, what is this? <laughs> yeah. Where's the story coming from? Yeah. Like- it's super bizarre. It's super bizarre. Like it's part of what I love about this movie, even though mm-hmm. like not all of it works is just the weird madcap anarchy of it yeah. where it's like, why is that scene there? <laughs> like who yes. thought that? And apparently Spielberg in the studio were like pushing Joe Dante to lose that scene. Uh-huh. And he just refused. He was like, no, this is this scene is what the movie is about. And I mean, I love the speech. So for, again, for anybody it's a great who speech. doesn't, it's a great yeah. speech. And it's something that like, I would 100% do in an audition. Yeah. But. Oh, um, I, I want to see that so bad. <laughs> you want to see that and you want to see me do the quantum leap opening monologue. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, but for anybody who isn't aware, Phoebe Cates is... What is her character's name? I don't want to keep calling her Phoebe Cates. 
Um, it is Kate Berenger. Okay, so I'll call her Kate. Yeah. Um, so there is a scene where they're walking and she mentions that she hates Christmas and Billy is like, well, what are you talking about? And then they move away from it. And then when they're, like you said, in the bank looking for stuff, she has this monologue where she tells the story about how when she was what eight or nine years old, mm-hmm. um, her and her mom were like decorating the tree for Christmas and they were getting ready. They were waiting for her dad to come home and the, his normal arrival time came and went and he hadn't come home. And then they waited for a few hours and he still hadn't come. And so then they called the police and, you know, there started like a search for him and nobody found him and blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And days later, four or five days later, Kate goes to start a fire in the fireplace. And she says, that's when I, that's when I smelled it. And they call the fire department and the fire department comes and Kate talks about how she's like, I figured it was going to be like a cat or a bird that had gotten stuck in there. Mm-hmm. And the fire department finds the body of her father in the chimney. He had been trying to gum down the chimney dressed like Santa. He had presents and everything. Mm-hmm. He'd slipped, broken his neck, and his body had been like up in the chimney. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's just equal so- parts horrifying and absolutely batshit. Yeah, it's batshit. It's batshit that it's in this movie that was intended for kids. It's batshit where it falls in the movie. Where it falls. (laughs) It's also batshit that a grown adult man would look at his chimney and go, I think I can make it down there. Like (laughs) that. I mean, there's so much. There's a lot about her father. Right. I mean, this is true. And having said all that, Phoebe Cates does an excellent job with the speech sells it i mean it's she does well and it's so funny like okay so a little bit of a behind the scenes of your and my friendship and working history (laughs) Uh, yes. if, if you guys have ever seen the movie Dead Billy, Amelia plays a character named uh, Selena. Mm-hmm. And you have this long monologue that every, everyone who's watched the movie always singles out your monologue. It's like, oh, my God, that monologue. And I realized I was like, oh, my God. Like, as I was watching it this week, I was like, my inspiration for that monologue came from Phoebe Cates and Gremlin because it's shot almost the same way with the slow, oh, like, dolly. <laughs> Like, I was like, this movie was the movie that taught me how to make movies, apparently. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 100% homage. to Phoebe Kate's mom. It's, I mean, it's fantastic. And like I said, she, she sells it. I mean, mm-hmm. cause you get to the end of it and you're like, Oh fuck that. That's horrifying. And then it just cuts away. And, and then it's just it like just, more gremlin hijinks. Like nobody ever talks about it again. Yeah. Like, you know, it's such a non sequitur. It's so bizarre. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk a little bit about the secondary villain of the movie gremlins, which is of course, Mrs. Deagle. Mm-hmm. So Mrs. Deagle, she's a, um, I believe she's like a real estate person. And I believe yeah, it's like she I, owns everything in town. Kind of yeah. Thing. And I believe I saw somewhere that at one point in the script, it was a plot point that she was trying to buy up everybody's land to, sell it off to like a chemical company mm-hmm. very you know uh she's very wealthy uh she has a bunch of cats that are named after different currencies mm-hmm. um so like she has one named peso i think she has another like yeah like maybe yeah. ruble and you know like yeah <laughs> And she's sort of your classic holiday movie villain. You know, she like, Mm -hmm. she's like very grouchy. She threatens Billy's dog. Yeah, she's 100% the Scrooge. She gets a pretty 
a pretty hilarious comeuppance. I there's mm-hmm. there are a couple of deaths in Gremlins that I'm like, ooh, that was the guy who's dressed up as Santa who kind of gets like swarmed. Mm-hmm. That one's like, oh, that's God. again, that's like just straight up horror movie. Yes, and it's so funny because it literally happens right after Mrs. Deagle dies, mm-hmm. and she has a long winding staircase in her home, and she's got one of those like it's the little chairs that connects to the wall, so people who have mobility issues can like sit in the chair and then like. Which like, is great because you see her throughout the rest of the movie just charging around like the fucking Terminator. Like she does not need that chair. One hundred percent, you're absolutely right. Like bitch has no mobility. <laughs> Issues. She's um, just lazy. She's just lazy. And you know, they start, she gets, she gets attacked by the gremlins in her house and she goes to sit in her little zoomy chair to get upstairs and I don't know, get to safety. Although, which is dumb because you're going upstairs instead of uh, whatever. Yeah. It's a conversation for another time, but, <laughs> um, and the gremlins like short circuit the thing. So it like zips yeah. up the stairs and then she essentially flies off of it flies through a window and like you know gets gets flung from it mm-hmm. i will say that the memory i have of watching this movie when i was younger and watching it with my brothers is that we were always like fucking right like yeah. we would have lived to have taken like a zippy ride on that little <laughs> airlift like thinking that yeah. and it's so long too like the the shot of it is i was watching it this time i was like why is their staircase that long yeah it's like a minute <laughs> like, and a half shot or something. <laughs> it's a very like <laughs> zipping. <laughs> um, yeah. It's way too long. And I guess maybe if you had that many stairs in your house, then it would it would make sense that you would yeah. need. I mean, if you're that rich, you know. Uh, yeah. I guess. I guess um, so. Yeah. No, she's great. And that actor, her name is Polly Holiday, and like we said, she was Flo on the Succumb Flo and Alice. Mm-hmm. She's fantastic. She to me, Dick Miller and Phoebe Cates are probably the three best performances. Yeah. Where like you just believe that they are these characters. Like even Hoyt Axton as Randall is like uh-huh. he's good, but he's just being Hoyt Axton and like yeah, you know, there's like rumbly voice, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like there's not a whole lot. He's he's fantastic but there's not a whole lot of like a whole lot for him to do but like i feel like mrs deagle mr futterman and kate are like these feel like characters to me yeah yeah i will also say i do think that we need to give an honorable mention to howie mandel who is the voice (laughs) the voice of of gizmo Gizmo. and also i think we should be honest here and say that gizmo walked so that baby yoda could run Oh, absolutely. I mean, 100%. I like, there's just, there would be no baby Yoda without. Also, do you remember when like everyone in the 90s was yelling at Furbies and saying like, Steven Spielberg, you need to sue Furby Corporation or whatever. Yes. They totally ripped off. 100%. Yes. Um, But I had seen something that it was like, no, Furbies were actually based on the Mogwai. So I don't. Well, and I I think they even put out, I think they, they worked out some sort of licensing deal because I remember they put out a Mogwai themed Furby at some point. I also will say that my memory of Gizmo was of a much cuter creature. Mm-hmm. And then when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, Mogwai is not like Gizmo is not nearly as cute. And maybe that could be because I now live in a post baby Yoda world <laughs> right? <laughs> um, where we've we've just reached pinnacle cuteness. Cute, big air creature. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I was like, oh, he's not like he's not as adorable as I remember him being. I got to say, though, the animatronics 
for fantastic. the gremlins and for the the no, Mogwai is yeah. incredible. Like yeah. just the the differences of expressions they're able to get out of their faces. Like yeah. you know, we're all living in the like post CGI world too, mm-hmm. and like it's just so fun to go back and watch these movies where they were having to figure out how to do this shit practically. And like what they were actually able to pull off. Right. And I think that's why, I mean, if we have any Mandalorian nerds out there who want to correct me, but I believe that Baby Yoda is also puppet animatronic. Like I think they they decided to not go with CGI because they were like, we're going to have more control over him if he's an actual... Like right thing and there might be moments where like stuff is enhanced with cgi mm-hmm. but i believe well that that's a way to it's a practical prop puppet yeah yeah and that's a way to avoid the whole uncanny valley effect that you get from cgi right. if you're trying to make a cute creature like it's hard to do that with cgi because it's right. always gonna look kind of like a robot and then which but you know i was thinking about this it sounded like i was gonna disagree with you i'm not I'm <laughs> agreeing with you but i was thinking about this because we were talking about about the Little Shop of Horrors movie and oh, how yeah. great the plant is. Yeah. And you had, what did you think it was? I thought it was stop motion animation, but then I read about it and it was a fully articulated puppet, but they just filmed it at like a quarter speed so they could yes. really get the details of the movements and then like sped it up. To yeah. And I mean, if you've not watched Little Shop of Horrors in a bit, go back and watch it. The plant it, looks great. Just YouTube a couple clips. It's oh it's, my god! It's a it's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, um, I mean, it's essentially just a big mouth, but it it's so like articulated, like and the expressive movement and yeah. expressive. Yeah, it's fascinating. I am actually hey Donia, what's up? It's her birthday today. Oh. Um, Happy birthday, Donia. Happy birthday, baby. Hi, what are you doing? Um, like it's I, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of CGI. Like, oh yeah, I'm not either. I don't mind it when we're talking about like, you know, uh like Wakanda in like the right. Avengers if, movies or if, something. But there's something about the creation of a like what is supposed well, to be a living being I mean, in CGI that always is is uncanny valley. It's uncanny valley, and like for me as the like the 1980s Fangoria loving horror fan that I am, I will always prefer yeah. like practical effects to CGI. Yeah. You know, yeah, same. Well, we should probably move on, but we should determine it. So I was thinking about this. Mm-hmm. Um, like how do we define a Christmas movie? And I decided I think there's like four criteria. Okay, what are your four criteria? So my four criteria is one is it has to be set around Christmas and actually use Christmas as like a major part of the plot. Okay. It has to like lean pretty heavily into a Christmas aesthetic, even if it's to subvert that aesthetic. It's got to okay. at least like bring the aesthetic in. Okay. It has to be I think to really, truly be a Christmas movie, it has to at least nod at some sort of hopeful happy ending. Even if it is, again, kind of subversive or kind of fucking with the idea of happy ending, it, it, okay. it's it got to sort of like give you a little push in that direction. And then it has to be like fully accepted as like a Christmas watching tradition, you know, okay. by at least enough people. And like for me, 
Gremlins like checks all of the boxes. Like I think there's I, no disputing it's a Christmas movie. Yeah, I I think I think it's a Christmas movie, which is also odd because I believe it was a summer release, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which also you can 100% tell during the daytime scenes when they're like <laughs> wandering around. I'm like, you know that fucking neighborhood was like a balmy 78 degrees. Well, and you can tell like <laughs> I they probably shot it in Pasadena or something cuz the snow on the ground is like that fake 80s foam shredded foam Yes, snow. and everybody is like dressed, you know, covered head to toe, and you can just see everybody's like, ah, like yeah. sweating. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, please get to the nighttime shots. Um, yeah, yeah, I I think Gremlins is kind of a classic Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. I think it is wrapped up enough in. I think it has enough Christmas thematics going on. I think, like you said, Christmas. Christmas is. Um, I don't want to say it's a character, but it's like there. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah, yeah i'm coming down firmly 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 christmas movie firmly on a christmas movie. yeah Okay, well, next up, of course, is, as you said, the, like, undisputed classic. I mean, we'll talk about whether it's a Christmas movie, but classic film Die Hard. Yeah, and I think Die Hard might, Die Hard is the sort of one action movie that I actually do very much enjoy. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with Bruce Willis. I'm going to be, Bruce Willis and Alan Rickman, to be completely honest. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, Bobby Bedelia is pretty great, too. She's Um, great. I think it's almost, a for what it is, it's almost a perfect movie. Yeah. Like, it's just so well put together. So, like, the action totally holds up by yes. today's standards the characters are like um but should we for for anyone who hasn't seen die hard should we give a little summary do you want to i'm gonna let you do the summary for okay this one. well so this again it's uh set on christmas eve new york city like tough rugged cop john mcclain mm-hmm. is on his way to california to visit his estranged wife i'm putting in quotes because it's like they're clearly having marital problems i don't think they're divorced right it's a little Um, unclear as to what their specific marital state is but it's not there's problems (laughs) yeah there's problems and basically the sort of reason for that is that he you know was this new york beat cop uh Mm. john mcclain is played by uh bruce willis in his prime like yeah just Bruce Willis all over this yeah he is peak Bruce Willis and his wife got this job in Los Angeles and she took it and it Mm -hmm. seems like that has caused some like a rift and she's like she's like a she's like a high up muckety muck in this corporation the Nakatomi Corporation (laughs) right which Uh, also not super sure about what they do or make yeah i mean i assume they're yeah they're like sony or you know (laughs) this is like you know again you know it's not as blatant as the orientalism of gremlins with the chinatown shop and the grandfather this is true yes but it is it is part of that 80s thing where it's like the japanese corporations are taking over right 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 yeah of course it's the nakatomi corporation Mm -hmm. um he's so he's on his way to la to see his wife and kids he he gets picked up on a in a limo and taken to nakatomi plaza picked up by an excellent side character by the name of argyle 
Argyle. The limo yeah, driver. Mm-hmm. He's fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Just to give you an idea about who John McClane is, he gets picked up in a limo and sits up front in the front seat with Argyle right. and not in the back of the limo. Right. Which I think is just one of those like perfect little touches. You know? Yes. And, uh, you know, goes to his wife's Christmas party mm-hmm. um, for her for her big company marketing mm-hmm. mark job he finds out there that she is going on she's going by her maiden name right so you know her name is holly mclean but she's gone back to holly Gennaro mm-hmm. and played by of course bonnie bedelia fantastic and then uh they have a little bit of a fight at the party like in the like executive washroom where he's kind of getting cleaned up yeah. she goes back out to the party and when she goes back out to the party he's still in the bathroom mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of german terrorists german terrorists <laughs> invade the party with their dastardly uh plan of kidnapping murder and robbery right and then right. so now it's up to our barefooted hero john McLean. Why is he barefoot? Well, because he was taking his shoes off to like make fists mm-hmm. with the carpet. <laughs> mm-hmm. The guy that he sits next to on the plane is like, mm-hmm. I'll tell you what you can do. That, like really makes you feel like you're like, like you, like you're like you're home or something like that. He's, he's like, first thing you do is you take off your shoes and your socks and you make fists with your feet, mm-hmm. um, which I will say I have done. And it, it does. It feels it's, fantastic. It's very soothing. It's like, yes, a very good self soothing. Like, yeah, you got to have the right, like not any like gritty gross no, carpet yeah without like it pebbly like- carpet in like a hotel room like no it's got to be like a good plush carpet yeah, it yeah, it can't it can't be uh like stain resistant right. low pile. It's it's got to be a like, plush carpet. Can't be like yeah, astroturf or something. But like right. But yeah, so so John McClane, like you know these these German terrorists led of course by Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. Um, break in, start shooting off machine guns, take everyone hostage, but they don't know that John McClane is in the bathroom. And so he, Mm -hmm. so now it's John McClane versus the terrorists trying to save his wife on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. They don't know he's in the bathroom. And when they do find out about him, they also don't know that he's married to To Holly Holly because Holly, Holly, because she's going by her maiden name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that becomes a big old thing. Um, and then basically he is trying to signal to the outside world that this terrorist attack is going on. And I love that. Like and nobody believes him. <laughs> nobody believes him. And I love like he, when he calls and like, I don't know what line it is that he gets a hold of, but the woman is like, sir, this is like a restricted channel. And he's like, I fucking know. Like, <laughs> yeah, what the fuck do you think I'm doing? Yeah. Sonya didn't like that. <laughs> it's, it's like very much like, this is very much, I would say, a pre-9-11 movie because like 100%. that is the only thing that feels dated to me is that they wouldn't believe it. Right, right. That they just yeah. be like, a terrorist Whatever, attack in dude. a business? Get out of here. Yeah. 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 And yeah, then it's, uh, he goes about, you know, basically saving the day. He finally... I don't remember exactly. I just watched it today, but I'm not remembering exactly how the cop gets... I mean, I know how he gets roped into it, but I'm not remembering why he gets dispatched there. Because I know that John is like, this is happening, he's we like, got to send somebody. He's Sergeant like the Al old, Powell. Al Powell, yeah. Who yeah. played by uh, the guy who ended up going on to play the dad on Family Matters. Yep, Reginald Vell Johnson. Yep. Fine work um, by him, yeah. honestly. Oh, he's, he's fucking fantastic. He's fantastic. I, mean, I feel like he is one of those actors who deserved a much bigger career than he had. But, you know, he went on to uh, be on Family Matters for a decade and probably made a bunch of money and, you know, yeah. good for him. 
but yeah, he, I just wish there was like on a nice patio somewhere. Yeah. I just wish there was like more of him in this type of character and more movies from this time period. Cause yeah. he's so fucking, he's great. He's and his so whole great. relationship, like, cause they have their whole relationship over walkie talkies, like mm-hmm. with John McClane is just fantastic. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite things about this movie is that so many people are smart. You have exponentially mm-hmm. more intelligent people in this movie than right. stupid people. Yeah, there's and the stupid people are roundly punished for being <laughs> stupid. I mean, there's there's a couple stupid FBI agents. Uh-huh. Um, there's the, are the FBI agents stupid or is the police chief stupid? Well, the police he's chief he's the police chief is real dumb, and then the FBI agents are also pretty dumb with their whole like we're gonna assault with a gunship, you know, right? And, like. <laughs> You know, they they get, uh, spoiler alert, blown up at the end. <laughs> yep. I, I do love the, like, thing about both FBI agents being named Agent Johnson. Like, yes. one is Agent Johnson and one is Special Agent Johnson. <laughs> yes, and the, the part of the joke about this is that one is black and the other is white. And so when it's, like, Agent Johnson, Special Agent Johnson, the black one goes, no relation. Yeah. And, like... <laughs> <laughs> and the uh police chief played by um what is his name he was also the principal in breakfast club yeah. uh-huh so he's just one of those guys that's just like a bad he always plays kind of a dick yeah um what is his name no, these i are all... am totally paul gleason paul, paul gleason. gleason right uh you know he's kind of like when they're like johnson johnson he's kind of like like you know it's but just but back, so stupid. Back to your question. I think the reason why Al Powell is like dispatched is it's when John McClane is like he's on the restricted channel. It's like, you know, there's terrorists, they're attacking the building. And she's like, This is a restricted channel. And he's like, I fucking know. And then finally yeah. she's like, I guess we better send a unit. And and he's right. just like there buying fucking Twinkie like or whatever an- for his um yeah, yeah, for his yeah. wife because she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. And he's like about to get off shift, he's like a block away from Nakatomi Plaza. And he's like, oh, yeah. I guess I'll go check this out. Like he walks out of the 7-Eleven or whatever and like looks and Nakatomi Plaza is like right there. Right. So which, like, which okay, by the way, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like a real building in Century it the, City. It was the, I mean, from what I saw, it was the Fox building. Like they rented yeah, it yeah, to yeah, themselves yeah. for this I th- I, Yeah, I think that's right. But every time I would like drive through Century City when I lived in LA, I was always like, there it is, Nakatomi Plaza. Um, but uh yeah, it's uh, this movie is just so good. And back to the idea of like the smart people, like one thing that I really appreciate about this movie mm-hmm. that you didn't get in a lot of 80s action movies mm-hmm. is that the wife, played by Bonnie Bedelia, uh mm-hmm. Holly, you know, Holly Gennaro, she's smart. She's mm-hmm. portrayed as smart from the start. She's not like Bonnie Bedelia was a very beautiful woman, but she's like played as just like a wife, mom, businesswoman. Like she's not like sexed up or whatever. Right. And like she's at like you can tell why, but we can both tell why she and John McClane fell in love and also why they kind of don't work. Right. Because they're kind of both too smart for their own good. And they're yeah. like not going to like, you know, put up with any shit from anybody. Right. And so you get these two, like, just people bashing into each other. Right. That scene, it's really almost the only scene you really see of the two of them, of them having that fight in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is so just like, I 100% believe that this is a married couple that's having problems, that deeply mm-hmm. love each other, 
that don't know how to work this out. And it's like, it's a short scene. It's like 20 seconds, 30 seconds or something. Yeah, and it yeah. just establishes this relationship that you yeah. buy. Yeah. You 100% I mean, buy that he's going to try and save her life, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, they talk about where he's going to stay. You know, like, like the conversation is not, I mean, they, they don't try to like shoehorn in a big relationship conversation. Like she's like, where are you staying? And he's like, oh, well, there's, you know, somebody who's retired on the force has a place out here. So, Mm -hmm. you know, stay with them. And she's like, you know, you like, we have a spare bedroom. You can stay with us. And And that's kind of the extent of the conversation. Well, and it's this really sweet scene, but then he fucks it up. Cause he's like, oh, I noticed you're going by your maiden name. And that sparks the whole fight. Yeah. And then she's like, I'm going back to the party. And just, I love that shot of him standing there watching her leave the bathroom. And then he kind of bangs his head on the wall. Yeah. And it's just so, like, this is what made Bruce Willis so good in this type of role is just like, he's not Rambo. He's not fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger, like muscle, you know, muscles on top of muscles. He's just like, you'd totally buy him as a regular guy. And I feel like it's something Bruce Willis as a character has kind of lost over the years, but back at this peak Bruce Willis time coming off of like moonlighting, you know? Yeah. So so great at that. Yeah. And a little backstory for anybody. Bruce Willis was known for comedy before he got Die Hard Mm -hmm. and he had been doing the series Moonlighting, which, you know what? I need to find if I can find moonlighting anywhere because i would 100 percent like to watch I, that series again. i haven't watched it since i remember my mom watching it religiously mm-hmm. and i don't think i really got it at the time but i mm-hmm. loved it i used to watch it with my mom and i loved uh-huh. him and i love silver shepherd on the show oh, and their God. whole dynamic was fantastic. and they were just too like, it's so funny because i was just thinking about this like you were saying the thing about bonnie you know that she's this mom she's like very you know but she's not like super mm-hmm. she she's not you know the way like moms are kind of portrayed now which is either like very frumpy or like very hot mom like mm-hmm. she was a mom and for me she's like a working up, mom yeah Right. And for me at that time, like I connect with that kind of a mom so much because it was my mom. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like beautiful in this very like soft down to earth way, warm, grounded, earthy. And like, I really, really miss 80s movies moms mm-hmm. um you know i think of the mom and poltergeist as well like mm, yeah you know like all of these women smoke shows but like again in this very like real well, it, way i mean it's 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 why john mcclain works like both of them just feel very real i mean yeah he's this like kind of balding action hero you know God. with like his like weird little wet widow's peak and like yeah they just, they feel like a couple New Yorkers, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. like kind of New Yorker suburbanites. He yeah. feels like a total just beat cop type of guy. She feels mm-hmm. like a total like wife, mom, like I said, wife, mom, and, you know, successful businesswoman, working mm-hmm. mom, you know, they just mm-hmm. feel very They feel very real, very grounded. So Bruce Willis was known for comedy at this point. He was, you know, sort of rising to fame doing the series Moonlighting. And apparently they went through like every, Mm -hmm. like every action star at the time was up for the role of John McClane. Mm -hmm. And the movie wouldn't have worked with anybody else. No, it's like, I'm trying to imagine late 80s Schwarzenegger or Stallone. No, absolutely not. <laughs> but even like Don Johnson, Richard Gere, like right. those people. And I was like, no, man, like it had it's to be. Good. It had to be him. Like it had to be Bruce Willis. The only other actor I could say I could 
this will be a controversial statement because he's a very problematic human, but who is very had a very similar vibe in a very yeah. similar movie from the same time period who could have done a John McClane type would have been Mel Gibson. Yeah. Like, and if you watch like Riggs in Lethal Weapon, which I love Lethal Weapon, it bums me out so much because I hate Mel Gibson. Yeah. It's hard. I've tried to be a garbage human. Yeah. I tried to rewatch Lethal Weapon during uh-huh. pandemic and I, I kind of couldn't even like, I couldn't get past. I was like, this guy, I'm a Jewish and he hates me. You know, Sorry, like I'm not sure. no, but like I mean, yeah, it, it, it's such a bummer because like it Mel is. Gibson was great he and he great. was great in these types of roles. God, uh, Mel Gibson and Bird on a Wire, Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn and Bird on a Wire mm-hmm. are so fantastic, right? Like, so so great together. So, it does really suck that he's yeah. a garbage human being, but, but yeah, like he, like, he could have done, I think he could have done this role, he's, and I think he's the only other one. And I, I can't think, think of anyone so, else. I think so much of it has to do with the fact that John McClane is smart and i think because he is smart he is also self-aware mm-hmm. so like he can you know create this shitty fight with his wife like mm-hmm. 30 seconds after him arriving and be aware enough to be like well and actually I'm and gonna- then also go on to be like i know what's happening here i know how i'm gonna have to deal with these terrorists and i also know that i'm like i'm in danger and I, I'm actually going to revise what I just said about Mel Gibson maybe being able to play this role because I don't think Mel Gibson, like that moment of almost vulnerability where he's just like, fuck, what did I fuck? I fucked this up. Like Mel Gibson would have brought too much intensity to that, maybe. Like there's something just so schlubby, like adorably schlubby about Bruce Willis in this movie that, yes. like, is really like it's hard for to imagine anyone else capturing that. So this is what I also really like about Bruce Willis's John McClane is that it is for me everything that is like wonderful about masculinity. Mm-hmm. Like he has a very very little toxic masculinity and is kind of aware of the toxic masculinity that he has. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or at least can like recognize it in in the immediate aftermath of it to be like, why did I do that? You know what I yeah. mean? But for the most part, it's like protector, fantastic, smart, awesome, provider. Yes. Like he, he is like all of the wonderful things about masculinity. And and even his like, you know, because the whole setup of why he and Holly are having marital problems is that he kind of had a hard time accepting her job. Yeah. But like he makes it human where it doesn't feel like, like you said, toxic masculine, like, you know, he doesn't want her to be barefoot and pregnant. He's, but he's like, we're family. Like I hate that you're across the country. Yeah. You moved across the country and like, you know, that sucks. Like, yeah, it doesn't, he portrays that as coming from like a place of like, I miss my fucking wife. Like, not like. You know, I'm the man and I should be the provider. It's like, I That's miss I you, mean. you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to make the argument here that I think John McClane is absolutely a superhero done through the female gaze. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, totally. I, I could 100%. totally percent. <laughs> Again, I think the character in like some of the sequels kind of loses that a little bit. Yeah. Like, we're strictly talking about <laughs> right. the, the you although know. I do got to just say Die Hard 3 with Jeremy Irons. Mm-hmm. That's a great film. Yeah, you know Jeremy Irons, Sam Jackson, like that's that's a really fantastic movie. But but the other sequels, like you can skip. <laughs> yeah. So we've talked about Bonnie. What's her name? Bonnie Bedelia. Bonnie Bedelia. 
Yeah. Okay, that is her name. Okay. Yeah. We have. Uh, Who, by the way, we, I my first memory of Bonnie Bedelia was in the uh, Salem's Lot TV movie adaptation from the late seventies. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. She also went on to play the Mary Steinberg Steinberg role in the TV in the TV series Parenthood. Mm. That is based. That's right. Yeah. On the movie Parenthood. That's right. Uh, so she plays the mom. She's again wonderful, very like earthy, grounded, lovely, mm-hmm. you know, uh, mom. Um, yeah. So we've talked about we've talked about Bonnie. We've talked about Bruce. We've talked about Reginald Bell Johnson. Let's, Let's go ahead. Bring in, uh, bring in our the last MVP, <laughs> the MVP of the movie. One Mister Alan Rickman, R.I.P. Obviously, um, mm, yeah. he was he was a tough one to he was a tough one to lose. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Yes, in his first movie role that apparently he got like two days after moving to LA, <laughs> and he was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a villain. And they were like, No, do it. And then he was like, God. Fine, I will. And he kills it, knocks was, it out of the park. Was this his first movie role? Really? It was his first. He'd done wow. TV and theater, and uh, probably I don't all in it was, probably all in Britain too. Well, and he'd done some stuff here because I can't remember if it was like producer and the writer, the writer and the director. The I don't I don't know, but two people saw him playing Valmont in uh, Dangerous Liaisons mm. on Broadway. Okay, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Oh, here's our Hans Gruber." He is so fucking good in this movie. (laughs) Like he is so I've forgotten how good he was. Like the scene where he's doing the fake American accent. So and he's just like, oh my god, you're one of them. Oh my yeah. god, don't shoot me. Like, don't shoot me. Um, yes, <laughs> like, he's he's so good. It's Christmas deal. Um, it's he's so so good, and you know he's got this like wonderful voice that sounds like you know like a jaguar inside of a cello. Like <laughs> he just he's so fantastic, and he has, and I you know he he then had to work a little bit to be. Uh, to break out of these roles because he well, was then sort of typecast he, as a yeah because he went from this to like Robin Hood Prince of Thieves I think pretty short order <laughs> I think so um, where also, he is he's, he's great in that but like it, the weird like sort of SNME Sheriff of Nottingham like I watched that movie again recently I was like I forgot how dark that character was in that movie yeah yeah. yeah. I was going to say earlier that I think actually when we were talking about Bruce Willis in Moonlighting, I think that is the first, hold up. No, the first character slash actor that I remember having a crush on mm. was Michael Douglas's character in Romancing the Stone. Oh yeah. You've talked about that. Yeah. And yeah, that I like wore out the tape watching it. <laughs> and, and it's, this is, I mean, we could psychoanalyze this, but that might be for another episode. <laughs> then the next one was John McClane, Bruce Willis. Or I'm sorry, mm-hmm. Bruce Willis in Moonlighting. Mm-hmm. And then later on, I was always sort of like, I like feel things for the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why. <laughs> you know, and I was very well, like conflicted I mean, that's, about that's that. That's the thing about Alan Rickman, particularly at this time, because he, you know, he's not like a classically handsome dude, but he... There's like a sexuality to him, both as and Hans Gruber definitely is the sheriff of Nottingham. Mm-hmm. Like there's something, there's just this charisma to him that's just magnetic. Yeah, I would pay lots of money to have seen his Valmont in yeah. Dangerous Liaisons because I bet it was like, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, like I bet women were level. like, 
<laughs> you know, like leaving the theaters, like, oh my God, take me home right now. And, and <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to fantasize about Alan Rickman in this role. And you're right. He's one of those people that is like not technically attractive, but one, he is very good at what mm-hmm. he does. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't quite bring myself to talk about Alan Rickman in the past tense, so I'm just not going to. Yeah. Um, He's very good at what he does. He has this incredible voice. And it, like in these roles, he's sort of like slinky and inky. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like he's got this like, uh, yeah, this kind of like panther feline-esque right. um, quality about him that you're like, I'm aware that this is dangerous, but I'm also like very drawn mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, five yeah. stars, 10 out yeah. of 10. He's he's so good. He like, and one thing I really appreciate that I'm not sure, it's a thing I forget about Hans Gruber mm-hmm. as a character mm-hmm. is the humor that he brings to the role. Oh my God, he's like, so because it, it's a very subtle, but you get a sense that like Hans is constantly amused by everything. <laughs> like even like when John McClane is fucking up his plan, he's a little bit like, hmm, well played. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, and it, he's a little like, ooh, okay like it makes me think of my comfort watch over the last few months of the pandemic has been the oceans movies Mm -hmm. um so and they're all on hbo right now so you know i'll start with 11 and then circle on work back your to way eight. Yeah. yeah but you know that don Cheadle has a line where he's like it'll be good working with proper villains again mm-hmm. um and that's a little bit of like not that he not villain but that he's like ooh, like a worthy opponent mm-hmm. is like yeah. what he sort of he's like this will be fun yeah there's almost like that that little bit of respect yeah and you get the sense that like you know because i don't they don't go deep into his backstory but he was this like german terrorist because the little bit of trivia the movie is actually based on a novel Mm -hmm. um from the 70s and i'm looking it up right now um um it it was a novel from 1979 called nothing lasts forever by a guy named roderick thorpe and it was about german terrorists because like a lot of people sort of forget that there was in germany at the time there was like the german autumn and like these terrorist groups that were very prominent in germany they were like very left-wing you know kind of like um yeah because this is before the fall of the berlin wall you know so they're kind of like pro-soviet pro-communist okay that's what I was um, going to ask. German terrorists. And like, this was a thing in like the 70s and I think even up into the 80s. There's a really good movie. I'm forgetting the name of it. If I can think of it, I'll put it on social media. That's about this whole era. It, it's like a, maybe a 10 year old movie or something. It's a German film. And so the characters in the novel, I think, were genuinely like left wing German terrorists. Uh-huh. By the time they made the movie, you know, almost 10 years later, it kind of didn't make sense anymore. So you get the sense right. that he was this German like leftist revolutionary who's kind of given up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I just want the payday, you know? Right. Ultimately, they kind of come in as terrorists, but they're actually thieves. Yeah. It's a heist movie. They're, you right. know, they're, they're trying to steal, what is it, like $400 million in bonds or something from this thing like that, which is so like when they start like <laughs> flipping through the real fast before we get into this, uh, before we get <laughs> before we get into it, like we're not like eyeball deep already. But I do want to ask you, aside from Hans, mm-hmm. who are your other who are your favorite terrorists? I have two. You mean in this movie or in, in- this movie? Yeah. So of the gang, because. There's like 12 to begin with. I love the guy 
who is like the safe cracker guy. Uh-huh. Um, he's great. Um, Theo? Theo. Yeah, I was yes. trying to find his name. He he's mm-hmm. fantastic. And I don't remember who that actor was. Um it is because I don't think I've... Gilliard Jr. I mean, has he been another thing? Because I, I don't remember him in anything else. I love him. I think one of the reasons I love him is because he's kind of so the actor who plays him is black. And mm-hmm. what I love about him is that he's sort of a black nerd. Yeah. Which you don't see a whole lot. Yeah, certainly not back then. I mean, you know, I think we've seen that a little bit more in like recent years. Like Donald mm-hmm. Glover is kind of, like if they made this movie today, it's like Donald Glover would play that role, you know. But right, like right, right. But back then that was like right, very right. much playing against stereotype, which I thought was really cool. Um yeah. I also really like the I can't never remember their names, not Carl, but Carl's brother, who's the first one that John McClane kills. Just because he's he's also like kind of looks nerdy. He's like this big, tall German blonde guy with glasses. But then like, but then like when they start fighting, he's all like fucking buff and strapped. Is it it's just like I think it was Kristoff. Yeah. Okay. I feel like it was two K names. Yeah. He he was just such a weird, interesting. Couldn't quite like he was like a character. I was like, I'd like to know his backstory. You know, I I think one of the things that's really interesting is, that, like I said, there there you begin with twelve terrorists slash thieves, and we're saying terrorist with quotes I with think. quotation marks. Yeah. Um, I think I saw that nine of the twelve were over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them were German. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. My two favorites are Theo. Mm -hmm. And because I just like anytime this guy shows up, Uli, who was played by Al Leong, who you might also remember as playing Attila the Hun in Bill and Ted's Excellent. That's right. Yeah, he's good too. He doesn't have a whole lot to do. I'm sorry, not Attila the Hun. Genghis Khan. I'm sorry. Genghis Khan. Right, right, right. Yes. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to do in Die Hard, but he is one of those like you saw him in 80s movies a lot. I'm just always happy to see him. You know. I uh, I rewatched Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure the other day. I'm Scott. That movie fucking holds up. Yeah. I get so misty eyed during their presentation. <laughs> I think it's so fantastic. I actually really like trying to like interpret what Socrates is saying. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really like Bogus Journey too, with like the weird like what teen movie thought it was a good idea to like quote an Ingmar Bergman film like it's got this whole thing about the seventh seal that is just like nobody got it like nobody in the target audience got it like you could tell they were totally amusing themselves also Faith No More or Faith No More's guitarist Jim Martin had a Mm. cameo in Bogus Journey nice Um, but I I sort of suspect that one doesn't hold up as well as the first one you're right the first first one one. is first one's fantastic uh best Halloween costume I ever saw was a group costume of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure complete with someone going as the phone booth nice yeah (laughs) i mean it was everybody it was bill ted the two princesses all of the historical figures and then yeah like somebody as the the phone booth (laughs) and i mean just r.i.p george carlin R.I.P. George Carlin. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's a real good time. If you haven't watched that, I feel like that's also... I know I watched it for free, so I don't know if it's on Amazon Prime or Hulu Mm -hmm. or Netflix or HBO Max, but if you can watch it, watch it. Have you watched... We're totally like, this is a total sidebar, but have you watched the new Bill and Ted that came out? Mm -mm. I haven't seen it. I'm real curious about it. And I actually heard it was good. Like, I've heard good things about it. 
So. Yeah, that's that's one of those like those are characters that I wouldn't mind revisiting. Well, I, I feel like Keanu Reeves wouldn't have gone back. Like Keanu Reeves does not need to be making a Bill and Ted movie if it's not gonna be like a really good Bill and Ted movie at this point. Mm-hmm. And like even Alex Winter is like you know, he's got his career. He's a director now. Like he doesn't mm. need, he doesn't need to go mm-hmm. do that. So the fact that they're able to get those two guys back together, I'm guessing it had to have had a pretty good script. But anyway, yeah. I haven't I haven't seen it. I'm just really curious about it. To answer your question from before, Clarence Gilliard Jr., who plays Theo, did like a lot of Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm. Um, he, was in, he was in two of the Left Behind movies, mm. well. which I hope he just did for a paycheck. Um, <laughs> but he did have, he like, he's got a lot of credits. Uh, but, but probably names. a lot of TV stuff. Yeah. Going back to this idea of like everybody in the movie being like the, our four main people, John, Holly, Sergeant Al, and uh, Hans Gruber. Hans Gruber being very smart. Uh, One of the scenes that I love is when Holly basically goes to Hans and is like, like has to negotiate for some stuff. Mm -hmm. She's like, we've got a pregnant woman out there. Like, can we move her? And like, I love that scene because the entire time Hans is kind of looking at her like, what are you? Mm-hmm. like he's he's sort of like he's very like intrigued by her mm-hmm. um which again i think is because he's like oh she's smart one of the uh an mvp strictly because he is he's very stupid but he's so <laughs> much fun to watch is i'm not remembering the character's name but it's the guy who's like hans bubby like that yeah. guy <laughs> the dude who's all harry. fucking harry who's all yeah. coked up and stuff because you're just like oh my god like and i think it's one of those things where like in any other movie it wouldn't work but because we have four main characters who are so intelligent he stands mm-hmm. in such wonderful well, relief he's, to that. he's such a, he's probably another element that you could look at and be like oh this is dated because he feels like such the perfect 80s character like the yep. 80s coked up yuppie with that like sort of like sleazeball beard <laughs> like yeah he's like which I, I'm, lo- I'm looking at myself in the zoom and i've got the same sleazeball beard no but like- <laughs> no but scotty it's so funny though because when i was watching die hard again today and i was like i don't know what it is i don't know if it's the beard hair combination <laughs> but it's so 80s yeah i don't know if it's because there's no grooming whatsoever done on the right. beard except a general overall trim Mm-hmm. or what it is but you're just like get this guy this guy's a walking std right that's just like the <laughs> way that, that and he that feels. actor I'm, I'm forgetting the actor's name he's really great like it's, it's a total side character yeah he's, he's the guy like the moment you see him you're like he's he's this not long dead. for this world yeah. <laughs> like he's this gonna, gonna die this guy's gonna fucking die yeah uh, but he's the guy that you're like rooting to get killed you know but yeah. he's such he's such a great scuzzbag like he's so good yeah yeah he's Um, he's a fan also another i and again like i think what's really great is that like what i so love when i talk about these characters being smart is i hate watching movies where the main characters are supposed to be smart and they do the stupidest shit. Mm-hmm. I so mean, it's I, a problem with so many horror movies, particularly slasher movies. You know? 100%. And so what I love about this is that the four people who need to be very smart are very smart. And then they are surrounded by idiots. The mm-hmm. David Urson, who plays Harvey Johnson, the news anchor. <laughs> oh, he's, he's fucking great. Cause he's also, um, he's also, what's his name? 
in Ghostbusters. Is Peck. no, 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 no. That guy. Oh yes, no, also. I know who you're I'm talking, talking about. The guy who's the who who uh uh you know when they're talking to the psychologist or whatever, he's that, like yeah. the Helsinki uh syndrome. And he's like Helsinki, Sweden, and the guy just goes Finland. He's yeah, like, no, yeah, yeah, that different character. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the psychologist does it like off camera. and the dude just like withers um he's fantastic yeah yes but that guy the guy that you're talking about i'm remembering that the actor uh bill atherton um, that's it who always played that character just like i mean i'm sure he's played other things but like the characters that he's so defined by are Mm -hmm. the sleazy news reporter in die hard and then uh, the the evil EPA guy in Ghostbusters. Evil EPA guy. Yeah. He was also right. Am I thinking of the right person? He was also in Real Genius, right? Oh, well, he was yeah, the sleazy was. professor in Real Genius. Mm-hmm. He uh, just whose house he's, get fills up. He's he's always awful. He just has a face of somebody that you're like, I want. To I feel he's he's probably like a lovely human being, but at some point he just realizes he's like, you know what? I have the most punchable face on earth. Mm-hmm. So I just need to lean into this kind of role. <laughs> yeah. And just like do it. And he does it so he's great. well. He doesn't he, even have like much of a role in Die Hard, but just every time it would go to him, I was just like, I I loved I loved every moment with him. Yeah, he's he really is fantastic. So him, the news anchor, the Hans Bubby guy, and Paul Gleason, like yeah. all all wonderful foils. And and the in the dumb agent and special agent Johnson, like <laughs> Yeah, there are like a lot of stupid people in this movie, but like, mm-hmm. but you're right. It's like, uh, you know, there's something about this movie that's just about like watching smart people have to deal with the ramifications of stupid people. Yeah. Like, you know, Hans is also like just having to deal with a bunch of stupid people too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And they, I, they all just feel very like long suffering you know like Like they're like could i just fucking deal with somebody smart please which again is also what makes it really delicious when we finally do get hans and john like together and they actually Mm -hmm. start interacting whether it's via walkie-talkie or in like the one scene that they have together Mm -hmm. um and i had seen somewhere that it was that die hard deviated from normal action movies by not having the hero and the villain get into a physical fight Mm -hmm. and really playing that this was like a battle of wits Mm -hmm. which is so great i mean because like like that scene i always forget about the scene where mclean finds hans on the roof and hans tries to play like he's just one of the hostages and it's you know pretending to be an american i forgot how perfectly both actors play it because like you don't you never know until the end like who's fooling who you know right Yeah. yeah and i mean there is like all of the stuff with the name of like what's your name and he's like uh clay Bill Clay, mm-hmm. and then it like shows the, the directory, name. and it's like William Clay. And like, I, even as I was watching it now, I was like, oh my God, he's getting away with this. And then the scene progresses, and I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, it's so, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's, it's just masterfully too, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's two very smart people trying to outwit each other. And mm-hmm. what's also wonderful about it is that, like you said, he's in the executive washroom when mm-hmm. this happens. So it's, he doesn't even, I don't even think he has like his pistol with him. Them. No, and he's in like his undershirt and his pair of slacks. He's barefoot, which becomes a plot point later on. Um, which is also just—it was just a great touch to like have your action hero be barefoot through the whole entire movie. Like, yeah, 
again, it creates a nice obstacle for him that mm-hmm. isn't, it creates a nice problem for him to have to deal with. I, mm-hmm. uh, I had a guy that I dated several years ago, went as John <laughs> McClane to a Halloween party <laughs> and he started the evening in an undershirt in a, t- like his undershirt tank top and slacks and barefoot. And as the night progressed, he changed into like dirtier tank tops <laughs> and like, was like, you know, would like go into the bathroom and like bloody himself up. And <laughs> that's, stuff. Pretty, that's genius. <laughs> that's pretty great. He had sent me pictures of like progressions of it. And it was, it, I was like, this is a really good costume, man. Yeah. It's a really, really good costume. <laughs> yeah. Um, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, uh, sort of begrudgingly like good job. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, so, oh, I think you were going to. I think we were going to the same place. Christmas so, movie or year yeah. or Christmas movie year or nay. I've come down Christmas movie. You know, I went into this fully expecting to come down on the side of it being a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. After watching it again and using my four point mm-hmm. plan, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like barely a Christmas movie. I think it is a Christmas movie, but it's like, you know, and I think so the two things that I think it totally meets the criteria for is it does have the the kind of not at a hopeful ending. Yeah. I think it has for a lot of people become a Christmas time tradition to watch mm-hmm. Die Hard. Mm-hmm. But as far as like how it actually incorporates Christmas into the movie, it actually feels pretty perfunctory. Yes, it is Christmas Eve. You can say it's a motivating plot point because that's why John is coming out to visit his wife. But yeah. it, like he could have been coming out for any reason. You know, and then, yeah, it's an office Christmas party, but they even make the point in the movie that like, well, it's an office Christmas party, but we're also celebrating this big deal that we put together. So it's like kind of barely a Christmas party. Yeah, there's some Christmas music in there, but it's like very much in the background. The most Christmassy part, and I think what does probably tip it where I think I would have to come down on, yes, it is a Christmas movie, Mm -hmm. is the famous like, ho, 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 now I've got a machine gun moment. Right. Yes. Like that. Okay. Now it's a Christmas movie. (laughs) I also appreciate that they, you know, that it's, uh, what is it? Is it Christmas and Hollis? That's the, that's like one of the first Christmas songs. Yeah, our and he's like, I thought we were gonna listen to Christmas music, and our girl's like, it is Christmas music. <laughs> yeah, that that is true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I I do enjoy that, and I will say that uh, Fox came out and was like, guys, Die Hard's a Christmas movie. I mean, what I would say is I think it's a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. I'm less mad than I was a week ago at the people who say it's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> like, I think they have an argument to make. You know, I. I, you know, and I guess that's that's a little bit of the thing too, right? Is like a Christmas movie is whatever it is that you want to watch at that time of year that puts you in the mood for for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that is It's a Wonderful Life and Miracle on 34th Street, awesome. If it is, but I think it's a little if bit If it's Die like, Hard and Gremlins and Silent Night, awesome. Deadly Night or whatever. <laughs> yes. Awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, well, and I think goes, ultimately you decide what creates a Christmas movie for yourself. Well, but we can't go with that because we said at the top that our decisions are final. Right, right, right. Okay, you're right, <laughs> so, you're right, you're right. We can't. I was trying to be magnanimous, but you're absolutely right. Yeah, no. Sorry, this, guys. This is Die Hard a, is a Christmas movie. This is, this is not a democracy. I um, will also say that every movie that we have chosen to debate shows up on, like I said, sort of alt-Christmas movie lists. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like it's not I, like we're plucking out like 
pitch perfect as a Christmas movie. Right. <laughs> you know? And like I said, I can actually understand the arguments where it's like people say like, it's not really a Christmas movie. I can understand it, but I think it does have enough Christmas in it. Mm-hmm that it does push it into being a Christmas movie. But it is much more in the background of this film than it is in the other films that we're talking about. Yes, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, ho, 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 now I've got a machine gun. Like, Come on. that's that's one of the most, like, classically Christmas moments of, yeah. like, our lifetime. So Yeah, I say yes. I hemmed and hawed about it throughout the week, but I'm coming down on yes as well. Okay, done. Okay, well, now this is where things are going to get interesting. Right. This is this is where I think opinions are going to... Well, are they are they going to diverge, or is it just on what you think about the movie itself? Well, we'll, we'll get to it when we get okay. to the, like, whether it's a Christmas movie part of it. But, like, okay. I think we have different opinions about the merits of this movie. Okay, <laughs> this movie. <laughs> In general. Okay. Our last movie is Tim Burton's masterpiece, Edward Scissorhands, <laughs> although I guess masterpiece is, is maybe what we're going to be debating here. Released in 1990, starring Johnny Depp, uh, mm-hmm. Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, and a whole bunch of awesome other people. It is the story of, I mean, honestly, what we're looking at is a sort of modern day, weird, day glow Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Johnny Depp is Edward Scissorhands. He plays the titular character, Diane Weist finds him she is a avon lady i think she's an avon lady yeah uh, and if it's not avon it is that kind of door-to-door makeup right mlm type of situation she's like she the movie starts with her like ringing everybody's doorbells and they're all like peg like fuck off i, I did enjoy that part. yeah <laughs> And it's like, she, you know, I never buy anything from me. I know. And then she just shuts the door. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she finally wanders up to this like big scary house on the hill that, that overlooks their weird ticky tacky neighborhood, right? Like mm. where all of the houses are the same. They're just painted different colors. Right. And she meets Edward and essentially like brings him home uh, mm-hmm. and is like, you know, you're, you're going to be part of my family. The twist to all of this is that Edward has scissors for hands. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he was unfinished. His creator, played by the great Vincent Price. Yes. Uh, yeah, put some respect. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, was not able to finish him before he died. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was also Vincent Price's last movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think he's only, I think he's credited as the creator, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, and yeah, so he's unfinished. He has these scissors for hands. And then, you know, it's it's very much, I mean, really and truly, it's a, it's it's Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. That's that's what you need to know about it. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the, the basic plot of the movie. Winona Ryder, you know, they have this sort of a very, of course, he's very drawn to her because Winona Ryder is lovely in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and she becomes drawn to him, mm-hmm. all that stuff. And then, of course, he gets run out of, he gets run out of town. Yeah. Uh, he gets vilified and run out of town. Right. So do you want to like make the argument for it being a masterpiece before I tear that down? Or do you want me to go first? (laughs) Why don't you go first and we'll discuss. All right. So I'm not going to sit here and say Edward Scissorhands is a bad movie. It's clearly not a bad movie. 
Uh-huh. It's it's very well made. The way mm-hmm. I I was trying to think of a metaphor for how I feel about this movie today. And I think to me, it's like you go to a French restaurant and you order a dessert and they bring out this lovely dessert that just mm-hmm. looks great. And you just, you can't wait to take a bite. You take a bite and all you can taste is like Splenda with like a bitter aftertaste, like a chalky aftertaste to it. Okay. Like that's how I feel about this movie. Like it just feels like... Very obvious. Okay. It feels like very obvious where it's going from the start. I have never connected to the emotion. It feels like very manufactured emotion to me. All the characters to me kind of operate on one or two registers. Mm -hmm. And I get that it's like, you know, playing with like it's a fairy tale and like, you know, Mm -hmm. but like the only character that's actually kind of interesting to me that has sort of an arc in the movie is actually Winona Ryder's character. Mm -hmm. And I just don't enjoy what Johnny Depp is doing in this movie. And it, and it gets to like a lot of my problem with a lot of Johnny Depp roles. Um, And I feel like this is maybe where it started with him. It feels very all about just like weird behaviors and like, it's very external and I'm never, I'm not getting like, an actual inner life from him from this movie like Mm. it it feels very i guess what would the theatrical term be presentational is that am i using that that correctly yes yeah and it's and it's like a thing that has consistently annoyed me about johnny depp (laughs) through the years there are some roles that i love him in i love him in ed wood and like i'm not a tim burton hater there's a lot of tim burton movies that i love like i love beetlejuice i love ed wood we were in a text thread where i was talking about how much i really like mars attacks which is kind Mm -hmm. of one of his like less i think celebrated movies from that time Mm -hmm. period i i love johnny depp in like Donnie Brasco, the movie Donnie Brasco. I love him in Ed Wood, like I said. Um, mm-hmm. But when he goes to his kind of what I feel like Johnny Depp bag of tricks, mm-hmm. I kind of find him insufferable. And I kind of find him insufferable in because I don't I don't believe him as Edward. I don't believe him as this outcast character. It feels like a guy playing at a cartoon version of an outcast and like. Yeah, it just, right. just none of the emotion ever. And I thought like, okay, I'm like, cause we had talked about this earlier in the week and I had sort of mentioned that I'm not really a fan, but yeah. I was like, you know, I'm going to go in. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, you know, maybe try and watch it with some fresh eyes. And I was maybe 10% less annoyed by it this time than I have been in the past, but I'm, uh-huh. I was still pretty annoyed by the movie. Yeah. So there, there's, there's where I come down on it. Yeah, I have to say that I like I disagree. I don't think that his portrayal of Edward is presentational. I think that within the world that is created mm-hmm. by Tim Burton, it actually because I don't think that there's any difference between the world that he is living in as Edward and the world that Anthony Michael Hall is living in as mm-hmm. the character that he plays. Or um, is it Alan Arkin? Alan Arkin. Yeah. yeah. Adam's like, I, the son, I think. That, yeah. Yeah. Well, whichever Arkin it is. Um, one of the Arkins. <laughs> yes. Well, one, of the, one of the Arkins. Um, I feel like they all exist in the same space. Same with like Diane Weist. I think, you know, I think, and I think that's kind of part of the thing, right? Is that like, there is this sort of presentational, like we're this normal neighborhood and um, like everything is very fine and everything is very happy. And then mm-hmm. Edward's presence sort of well, is the thing that that unstabilizes that and to be fair like i found none of the characters very compelling (laughs) in the way that you're saying so like yeah i mean i I, know i totally hear what you're saying it 
and I don't know, maybe it's just, it's like a chemical reaction I have to this movie, but I just like, it just makes me itchy and like kind of irritated at the movie. And it feels, Mm -hmm. I don't know. It just, it just, this movie, there's something like oil and vinegar with me in this movie. That, yeah. yeah, which is like 100% fine. You know what I mean? Like, I think this could 100% be the thing of like, maybe this movie isn't for you. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is weird because it seems like it should be for me. Cause like, I actually, I grew up in a small that. town. I was like a weird social outcast. I was painfully shy. Mm-hmm. All of those things. Like, there's a lot of things I should have in common with Tim Burton's perspective here that just don't gel for whatever reason for me. But anyway, sorry, I cut you off. No, but I, I mean, I, th- I think I like, I don't know, to me, like that actually makes sense. You know what I mean? That, you know, this, I think, I think the, I think the movie has a soft underbelly. Mm-hmm. I think it's, um, it's more of like the um, Tim Burton has a weird sort of like, I mean, I guess that's, that's kind of the best adjective is like weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's this weird thing, but like, to me, Edward Scissorhands is maybe one of his movies that kind of has the most softness to it the most heart mm-hmm. so i would understand why you being you would be like <laughs> i don't i don't like this you yeah. know what i mean I and mean, there, there's a two... version of the movie i would like better where like it turns into a horror movie and that is purely <laughs> me like that is 100 me bringing a lot of me to the equation so. yes and so that's what i mean like it just might not be for you you know yeah. but to me there is uh god like i think diane weist is so fucking hilarious she's she's actually she's pretty great she is fantastic when she is trying to like (laughs) do this (laughs) makeup uh my brother and i always do the thing of like darn this stuff as she's like trying to create a foundation for him she's like doing the whole avon spiel of like we're gonna do this and we're gonna start with a base and blah blah blah. so she's like mixing up this like lavender makeup that just makes him look like a corpse and she's like trying to like spackle it on his face and she she's just like i mean she's just it's like she's Covering up a hole in the drywall right. is how she is applying this. And she just goes, darn this stuff. Um, <laughs> Diane Weist is so, I don't want to say that she's like unsung or unappreciated or anything because she has had a, a long and, and varied career. Mm-hmm. But I think she is one of those actors who you sort of forget about because she is just so consistently good mm-hmm. in every she's just so quietly and, and I will, good in everything she does i will say like i feel like i i probably misspoke when i said the only character that i was compelled by was winona Ryder's character because I, mm-hmm. I was by her but actually i think diane weist is is it weist or weist i, I never know but um I think it's weist is diane it weist? weist i don't know if we're saying your name wrong and you sorry, listen diane. to this podcast <laughs> we're very sorry um, yeah <laughs> it's the weirdest thing pod at gmail.com um but she's actually pretty great she does she does bring some like genuine heart to the film but i wish there was like more of that kind of i i feel like the movie wants to have heart and it wants to have the soft underbelly and mm. it's just not convincing to me and i think it's because a lot of the performances are just not convincing to me i actually don't like I forgot because I usually love him in things. I do not like Alan Arkin in this movie. He, he's just being Alan Arkin. I don't feel like there's a character there. Like, well, I feel like I read something about him too that he was like, I don't, I don't get it. And then, 
he didn't like get the movie and he was like i like i i don't I don't know like what I'm doing. And maybe, I don't know, maybe I can kind of see that. <laughs> maybe you can kind of pick up on that. I do think, I will say that I think this is, uh, I think something that happens with this movie is that the character of Edward Scissorhands, titular character, you know, sort of like, the. I feel like the movie is like the, the main character is Edward. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't think that the main character is Edward. And mm, then they, they made the movie like the main character was Edward. And I actually, I think if there's a misstep to the movie, if there's a, if there was a way to improve upon the movie, because the thing is, is like what we know about Edward is very shallow. Mm-hmm. It's that he was a creation, you know, he, I think he's got like 27 lines of dialogue in the movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, like there's not a lot there. And I, I wonder what would have happened if the movie had focused more on either Diane Weiss's character or Winona Ryder's character. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I actually feel like a version of this movie that was actually Diane Weiss's movie. Mm-hmm. I might've liked better. Like, yeah. I feel like she becomes less of a driving force as the movie moves on. She's just yes. kind of reacting to everyone else being mean to Edward at the mm-hmm. end. And like, mm-hmm. I wanted her to have like a moment. Like she never stands up for him. Right. End, you know, like, and but, yeah. but it's because they didn't, either they didn't have time or whatever, but it's like, they didn't give her that moment. You know, Right. Yeah. I think, I think he is both the monster and the like wounded puppy in, Mm -hmm. in the story, but I don't necessarily think that means that he should have been the main character. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, And I don't think that he's the protagonist either. Yeah. Well, because he doesn't actually have much arc, which is fine if he's not supposed to be the main character. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Like, no, I think I agree with you. And like, you could have made it Winona Ryder's movie, mm-hmm. but I actually like how she kind of drops in halfway through the movie. Right. Like she's this sort of, I like the idea that Edward has created an idea of her that maybe doesn't match the real person. Right. And when she pops in, she's just kind of a bratty teenager until she grows. Yes. Um, But I do think like we start with Diane Weist, we could have like ended with, you know, although I do like the framing story. and again, See, like, but I think there are the things thing. I like about the movie. <laughs> and I think that's the thing is that what happened is that it started as Diane Weiss's movie and then sort of halfway through kind of became Winona Ryder's movie. So mm-hmm. maybe if they had stuck with one or the other, because right. I like the book ending as well. Yeah. And I, and actually, I like that it's Winona Ryder's character as, you know, because it feels very much like there's an interpretation of this movie you could make that actually the version that we're seeing is not what really happened. Right. It's her like, she's framing it as a fairy tale for her granddaughter. Right. So some of the like rough edges get a little sanded off and, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I don't know, I almost wish they could have done more with that idea, maybe. Right. That it's like her fantasy of what happened, her fantasy memory of what happened, and not right. like or what like, she wishes would have happened if she could right. rewrite her own history. Exactly. And I don't know how you how they could have done anything more with that concept, but I kind of wish they had because that's in, right. that's interesting to me. Interpreting the movie as like a unreliable narrator kind of Yeah. Thing. And God, I love an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do. Like oh, the writer in me loves that. I love a narrator that like halfway through the thing, you're like, I can't fucking trust you now. Mm-hmm. Like so much, fo- like, I love it. Yeah. Um, I had read that. I think that Diane Weiss's character is based on the screenwriter's mother because oh, she would do that. She would like bring random strangers <laughs> home and they were like, what are you doing? <laughs> who? Uh, I don't even know who was the screenwriter on this. I'm going to look it up. 
Um, because there's like a few screenwriters. Caroline Thompson. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, because yeah. there's a there's and a few t- screenwriters. Yeah, there's a few screenwriters that Tim Burton like worked with, you know, kind of repeatedly over the years. But mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't remember her name. Um, yeah. So yeah, there was that that Peg is is based on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's that's I kind of like that. <laughs> I love that. I, I yeah. don't know why I like because like for me, as somebody who does not like talking to strangers, mm-hmm. the idea of my mom bringing strangers into my home and just being like, make him feel welcome is like. Oh. So- <laughs> well, and that's interesting <sighs> because I feel like of the family, Diane Weist and Winona Ryder are the most fully realized characters. Mm -hmm. And if you take this interpretation, then Winona Ryder is probably a version of her, Carolyn Thompson. Let me see. I feel you might be, you might actually be right about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I will also say that Johnny Depp had done Nightmare on Elm Street and 21 Jump Street before yeah. he did this movie. I, I think, oh, and I think maybe Cry Baby. I think he did Cry Baby. Mm-hmm. But, but he was, so, this was, I mean, this was the movie that kind of put him on the map as like an actor, not a teen idol. You know? Right, right. And as like a character actor. Right. Um, Specifically. Let me see. Because I also know that this is one of the movies that Winona Ryder also found the hardest to do mm-hmm. because her character was so... Uh, what is the character's what is what is the non-writer character's character's name? <laughs> Sorry. Surprised myself by coughing again. <laughs> I didn't mean to laugh at you joking. <laughs> um hold on, hold on, hold on. Kim. Um yeah. that she, yeah, and like that she she had a very like like sort of like visceral reaction to seeing herself in the wig and the costumes and stuff because mm-hmm. well, it's she, very not one on a writer. It's very not one on a writer, and apparently she very much resembled a girl who bullied Winona Ryder. Interesting. So like how weird to be like, I yeah. I hate this like i hate the way yeah that I that's interesting in well mm-hmm. it's interesting because she feels so uncomfortable in the movie and it actually i think it really works for her character like mm-hmm. i you know winona Ryder is one of those actors who like i have enjoyed in a lot of things but has not necessarily been one of my favorite actors and even mm-hmm. in like stranger things i sort of feel like she's one of the weaker parts of stranger things mm-hmm. but when she's good like i think she's really great in beetlejuice actually i think she's very good in this movie And she talks about how she was like so comfortable playing Lydia in Mm -hmm. Beetlejuice. And then I think she went from Beetlejuice to Edward Scissorhands and she was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. (laughs) Like she's having a hard time looking at myself. She's also really great in Heathers. She's great in Heathers. Um, And again, those are, those are things that are very much in her wheelhouse. Mm -hmm. This was, this was a stretch for her. Dark, gothy girls. Yeah. Uh, Beetlejuice also just a fantastic movie um, i love that film yeah. i need to watch it again i feel like beetlejuice is very firmly a halloween movie oh yeah well and, right? it's, and we'll get into the like whether this is a christmas movie or not thing but like mm-hmm. what i love about timber is like he is to me the perfect halloween filmmaker in mm-hmm. a lot of ways mm-hmm. and some of it is like i think tim burton's stuff is best usually when he does lean a little more heavily into the outright macabre and like right like what's great about beetlejuice and even a movie like mars attacks is it's like kind of going back to what i was saying about gremlins is it's got a little bit of that like anarchic energy that mm-hmm. you don't i mean and, and to be fair to edward scissorhands he's not going for that here but 
I did miss yeah, that. Yeah. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing too, because there are elements of Edward Scissorhands that feel very Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And then there's elements of it that don't. Well, it's very um, restrained for mm-hmm. where he was at in his career at the time. And even just in terms of like color palette and stuff mm-hmm. that it's a little like, this feels like maybe like an, like an LSD fever dream or something. Well, um, and I know that it's like the town is based because he grew up in Burbank, California, mm-hmm. and it's kind of based on his childhood memories, like his Tim Burton interpretation of Burbank. And mm-hmm. if you've ever driven around Burbank, it's like, you can kind of see it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Like, Burbank's not as like candy colorful as this, but it's got a little bit of that kind of yeah, that vibe kind of to it. Feel a little to plastic it. vibe. Yeah. Uh, this is also where I believe Johnny Depp and Winona Ryder met and fell in love. Mm-hmm. Uh, that and this, you know, led to the relationship that led to his famous Winona Forever tattoo, which then became Wino Forever. forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> afterwards um one of the most interesting things again you know lots of people considered for the role of edward one of the most interesting things i found out about it was that tom cruise was being heavily considered interesting for the role Ooh. but he kept asking stuff like how does edward go to the bathroom and like how does he live without eating and all this stuff and they were just like you don't don't get it get it yeah uh which also to me is a fascinating insight into how tom cruise works Mm -hmm. as an actor and i imagine from this that he is one of those people who like everything needs to make sense in Mm -hmm. a script for him and that there can't there there there's an analytical kind of mm -hmm. and that there are going to be areas of suspension of disbelief that are just not going to be accessible to him i mean my my instinct you say tom cruise i'm trying to put i'm trying to mentally graft his face onto edward and i can't do it so my instinct is he wouldn't have worked but then like you you know no one thought he was going to work as lestat in interview with a vampire you know and by the way r.i.p and rice um, and, Rice. and he's actually pretty fantastic in the interview with the vampires. He is, but there is inherently something about vampires that is very rooted because they because they were human. Mm-hmm. That I think well, he's like, okay, I get this, and I can laugh. Yeah, on and there's it. yeah, there's like a logic you can like in interview with the vampire in particular. Like, there's a logic to the vampires. Like, they have a whole society and everything that like. Right. Probably does appeal to that, you know, figuring things out. Right. But I think that's the thing of just like, you don't know because like Edward doesn't have, he, he was an invention. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, I can just imagine that Tom Cruise's brain was like, I will, I will say like, I I never questioned like whether, like why, how he can live without eating and stuff. I did think like when she brings him home, I'm like, God, he probably smells real bad and no one's reacting to him smelling really bad. Like that was a thought. If he's not a human, he's not sweating. That's that's true. (laughs) You know what I mean? Uh, Although funny. He just looks like he smells real bad in this movie he probably did in all that latex like yeah and he there were a couple of times i think where he either did collapse or near collapsed from heat exhaustion because Mm -hmm. he was wearing like a like neck to wrists and ankles leather suit they shot the movie in fucking florida so (laughs) he's like Um, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. So I thought that that was a very interesting piece of trivia about it. Mm -hmm. I also, what do you think about the casting of Anthony Michael Hall? I am not going to lie. When I saw Edward Scissorhands in the theater, I was like, why do I know 
Mm-hmm. Why, like, who is Jim? Like, why do I know him? Plays Jim is uh, Winona Ryder's character's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And when I realized that it was Anthony Michael Hall, my mind was kind of blown. Yeah. Well, I'm well, just this time as I was watching it, I, his name came up in the credits and I was like, who the fuck was Anthony Michael Hall in this movie? Because like, mm-hmm. it's probably been 20 years since I watched it. Mm-hmm. And then when he pops up on screen, I was like, holy fuck, that's Anthony Michael Hall. Because like, you know, obviously he's, you know, the dorky kid. And yeah, what, what we remember, what I remember of him is small, slight Mm-hmm. breakfast club 16 candles um yeah, he's like football like wearing the leather jacket yeah he, bully. And he looks like he grew like like three feet mm-hmm. you know and he put on like 50 pounds um yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i mean he's massive he's good in the movie but his character is part of what i don't like about the movie is mm-hmm. it's like he is such a one note bully mm-hmm. like there's again there's just there's almost no character there like, I think he does a good job with it, mm-hmm. but he's, and that's how I feel about almost everyone in the neighborhood is just, they all feel so much like characters that are caricatures that it mm-hmm. becomes kind of hollow to me. And that's and why I, think, I just, I can't emotionally connect to it. Right. And I think that, I think that it's fine for there to be characters that are very sort of like that are caricatures that are sort of like cardboard cutouts of these people that we all know well, I mean, you know like the shitty boyfriend Deagle and neighbor gremlins right. is a total caricature yeah and she's great right so. yeah and she is great but i think that it's because i don't necessarily think that it is a i don't think it's a fault of the actor no and i don't I don't want to say that I think the characters are badly written. I think what happened is that we had, if you're going to do that, it has to be a very deliberate use of these like archetypes Mm -hmm. in order to throw something else into relief. Mm -hmm. And I think what ended up happening was here are these archetypes and they forgot to throw something else up in relief. Yeah. Like the, the, I, with the maybe exception of Winona Ryder's character and Diane yes. Weiss' character. But yeah. like, I think that is Mrs. Deagle in Gremlins is a total caricature, but she's in relief against all these other great characters. Yes. Who, by the way, in Gremlins, it's not like these are like, quote, realistic characters. And, right. you know, they're also pretty stylized, you know? Yeah. I mean, Billy takes his dog to work at the bank. Right. It, yeah. I mean, it, it's got a, in some ways a similar vibe to it, but yes, I think the fact that they're so stylized in Edward Scissorhands, just, mm-hmm. it's just a movie that if for as much as I understand, like there's a lot of people who have deep, deep emotional connections to this movie and this character. I've always felt like the movie's just holding me at a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I don't fall Anthony Michael Hall at all. I think he's actually, I think all the actors are very good. I, like I said, I don't like what Johnny Depp's doing, but I often don't like what Johnny Depp is doing. Okay. And then I, to me, like Alan Arkin feels just miscast or misplaced in this movie. Well, I think. But all the other actors do it. Like they're, they're on the wavelength that Tim Burton wants them to be on. Right. And I think that is the thing is that it just, I'm not exactly sure that Tim Burton fully thought out what that you can have as much intention as you want to, Mm -hmm. um, with the understanding that the audience might not receive that intention. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be what's going on here is that I think there was an intention there, but like I said, it doesn't stand in relief 
to anything enough right. to be fully successful. Having said that, I don't have a deep emotional connection to Edward Scissorhands. I mm-hmm. honestly find the movie, I think there's a couple of very sweet moments. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a bunch of really funny stuff that happens. One being the darnness stuff thing mm-hmm. to the other thing at the barbecue when they just start shoving food into his Yeah. No, the, the, I mean, again, like there's a lot about the movie that I like. Like I mm-hmm. love all those moments. I actually like the stuff of him like puncturing the waterbed. Oh it was like genuinely funny. No, no, no. It's like there's somebody with an ass. Oh, I totally, I totally cackled the moment like when, after Winona Ryder like stumbles on him in her bedroom and is screaming, <laughs> and you have that wide shot of the hallway and everyone's running around, and then Edward's just like, do, 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 do. like I'm, I'm gonna get go into the living room, like you know, there's yes. all these like great moments like that, like you said, the shoveling food into his mouth at the barbecue. The um, weird uh, two other things that I take a lot of delight in is one, the horny neighbor. I think she, uh, who, yes. Like just the, she's so like, uh, like at everything that Edward does got just like the biggest lady boner in the world. Yes. Just biggest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. And now I'm not remembering what the other thing was, but she is, she's endlessly hilarious to me and, oh, and the super fundamental religious woman who's like, when she's like playing at the organ. Oh, that is, that is pretty funny. Like her recreational moment is like playing these like. <laughs> and it's like such a like Casio keyboard kind of sound. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, also, I did want to say, I'm going back to it now because that just made me think about it. I do really enjoy the Gremlins score because it is a lot of like glum tuba mm-hmm. tones yeah uh which i which i very much enjoy this the sound design of back to gremlins just real fast guys mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. the sound design in gremlins i meant to mention this i love it like i love the the sound of gizmo i love the sound of the gremlins I, my favorite gr- like stripe moment is when you see the sign for deagle estates and it's like deagle 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 like <laughs> God, me and my brothers used to say that to each other all (laughs) the time. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of really great sound stuff happening in there. But yes, I do love fundamentalist Christian lady. Yeah, she's pretty funny. Just just that, like, you know, she's like, you know what? I'm going to settle in for the evening (laughs) and and bang on my organ. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to tickle the keys of this organ. Like, I just, (laughs) it's so weird and funny to me. Yeah. Um, But the two moments that I do really love is when Edward does create the ice statue Mm -hmm. of Kim. And she's like, you know, she's like twirling in the snow or no, does it start to snow? And that's what happens. And she's he's creating it with the ice. Yes. And then at the end, when we see old Kim and she's doing, and she does the whole thing of like, and she's also doing like the cheesiest old lady voice. But she says the thing about like, it never used to snow until Edward and, and, and now it does or whatever. And you see him like furiously, yeah. you know, carving it's, away again and, and the snow is coming out and the music is really lovely in that moment. Well, I, I mean, Danny Elfman like can almost do no wrong to me. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a huge Oingo Boingo fan. I love mm-hmm. all of his soundtracks and and the score is lovely yeah just across the board in this film 
Yeah. And I feel like I had, I'm trying to see if I can find it. I feel like I had read somewhere that Danny Elfman came onto this kind of by accident. That he was not, I don't know if it's that he wasn't well, Tim Burton's he, first choice or the studio's first choice, but whoever, whoever it was that was supposed to do it was like, I, mean, I can't, but what about Danny Elfman? Well, he and had worked with, he had worked with Tim Burton before, because I know that like Tim Burton was an Oingo Boingo fan and reached out to Danny Elfman to do the score to Wee's Big Adventure. Um, and he, and he, had, and he had done the score to Beetlejuice and to Batman. So he had oh, worked with, but I wonder if like, he was gonna work with someone else this time and that maybe, fell through. Maybe that's it. I mean, this is also this, I, I may have read this on IMDb. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting yeah. little Danny Elfman, Tim Burton trivia. Like mm-hmm. one of the only movies that Danny Elfman didn't do the music for was Ed Wood. Uh, that's because uh-huh. they had had a big falling out after Nightmare Before Christmas. Cause you know, Danny Elfman did all the music for nightmare before christmas was the voice of jack skellington uh-huh and there was some falling out in the process of that so by the time tim burton got to do ed wood danny offman was like go fuck yourself and really did uh, they tim come... burton ended up using howard shore and then they, they got back together okay. from mars attacks so okay well i'm glad they got back together yeah um <laughs> Hold on. I'm trying to think of what it was that I was going to say. You're talking about, we're talking about Danny Elfman. We're ta- oh, okay. Ridiculous sidebar story here. Mm-hmm. So um, if you can drop in like 10 to 15 seconds of Breakfast Machine from Pee Wee's Big Adventure <laughs> <Okay>. here. <laughs> That song, we had put it, um, we were doing, what show were we doing? We were doing The Emperor's New Clothes when I was Mm -hmm. uh, working at Barter Theater as a barter player. So it was a show for young audiences. Mm -hmm. And I think the director had asked me or somebody had asked me to put together the pre-show music for it. And so I was like, oh yeah, absolutely. And for whatever reason, I threw Breakfast Machine into (laughs) the pre-show music. And it's, I believe it's, I don't think we had previews for player shows. So I believe it's like opening day. Mm -hmm. And the way that the theater at Barter Theater that we did the player shows in worked is that it was a bastardized thrust. So stage kind of came out and, and the audience surrounded it on uh, like three sides. So front and then the two sides. And there were VOMs that came in, in the two corners. And those VOMs also, like there was a, a, a like a tunnel essentially that went under the bleachers. So you could like exit upstage right, mm-hmm. go in through the tunnel and then come in downstage left or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're all in these tunnels. So essentially under the seating banks. Yeah. <laughs> and breakfast machine comes on (laughs) and we can feel it like the energy in the theater starts to shift (laughs) and all of a sudden before we know it the kids are like stomping their 
feet and they're like <laughs> dancing on their chairs. Nice. Like we were sitting under there and like all of us were looking at each other and like looking up because it felt like the theater was about to collapse. We had we ended up having to remove the song from the pre-show <laughs> music because the kids were like, fucking right. Like just, like kid moshing in the audience nice. like, in the seats. And the funny thing is is that like in the when I put it in the pre-show music, I was like, this is a good song. And then even as I was as I was listening to it that day under the seats, I was like, what is happening? But I listen to it now and I'm like, there is something about Breakfast Machine that is like fucking right. Like just is amped. Yeah. And those kids felt it. And yeah, we ended up having to take it out of the pre-show music. <laughs> That's just the perfect Danny Elfman story. Like, yeah, that is like if like that is what I would tell him if I was to ever meet Danny Elfman. He would, I would he just would be like, it. "You're a breakfast machine." Nearly caused a riot. Um, <laughs> he would of, like a riot of joy. Well, I mean, that's I think I, like just to continue with the Danny Elfman appreciation for a moment. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people forget about Danny Elfman is that he started as a, as a rock guy. You know, he was in mm-hmm. Oingo Boingo, the man Oingo yeah. Boingo. And we associate him so much with movie scores now, but when you go back and listen to Oingo Boingo, like some of that music is fucking lunatic. Like, yeah, he's got the song. They've got the song. No one lives forever that they used in Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two. That is just like the perfect like 80s horror movie theme song. And yeah. then they put out an album in the 90s where they rechristened themselves Boingo. And, it, and okay. the whole album mostly has, it almost has that sound of like a Danny Elfman score. Mm-hmm. But then there was this hidden track at the end uh, called Helpless. Uh-huh. It's just like the most demented song. Like I'm going to play just a little bit of it here. Okay. <laughs> dance he left with his brain smeared all over his pants because he didn't belong here he didn't belong because it's very danny elfman and he's singing in his jack skeleton voice but then the lyrics are just fucked up and then he just put out an album like earlier this year that's again it's just like it's back to like demented wingo boingo Yes. Um, that I'm just like listening to constantly. I love it. And and but then when he turns around and does a score for something like Edward Scissorhands, like I have no complaints about the music in this movie. Like yeah, he's he's just he's the perfect composer for Tim Burton. Yeah, know? very much so. Very yeah. much so. Like that just like there's a like an uh, an inherent understanding of style or type or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like again, that like sort of weird, demented, but beautiful thing. Yeah. And like that's the one. One thing that I feel like, as much as I love Ed Wood, which is probably my favorite Tim Burton film, and and I love Howard Shore as a composer. He worked with um, David Cronenberg a bunch, but mm-hmm. he, but just the score, like I just want it to be a Danny Elfman score. It's it, it's sort of it's like not. almost a Danny Elfman score, but it's just not, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. Okay. So Edward Scissorhands, Christmas movie or no? I think yes. I think it's a Christmas movie, guys. 
Yeah, I mean, I think which is weird because so much of it takes place like it's it like so much of it takes place in like a summer season. Mm -hmm. But I think according to kind of your criteria, I do I do think it's a Christmas. Well, it you know it does end on hope and and yes joy yes um in a melancholy way I would say but it it leans particularly in that last third of the movie pretty heavily into the Christmas aesthetic. Yeah. I think people definitely have turned it into like a Christmas tradition, mm-hmm. you know? And of course it is literally set at, or at least the end of the movie is literally set at Christmas time. So I think it just checks all the boxes. And I would say the beginning as well, right? Because mm-hmm. like, you know, if we're talking about those well, bookends, with the snow, yeah. Yeah. And I gotta say, like, I'm almost talking myself into liking the movie a little better <laughs> than I thought I did. Because like, as we're talking about it, there are all these scenes that I do really love. And that, ending which is a callback to when we see her dancing and when he's making the ice sculpture that ending where we see him making the ice sculptures all up by himself and creating the snow yes like it's fucking like that if there's anything that did get me emotionally in this movie it was that yeah and the scoring right there is really Mm -hmm. lovely it's It's like it's so beautifully like like you said like melancholy I mean, like I said, I could never sit here and be like, oh, Edward Scissorhands is a bad movie. It's just, I think you're right. It's just like, there's something about the sensibility that clashes with something in me and almost the fact that it does feel like it should appeal to me more than it does almost Mm -hmm. like makes me kind of recoil from it more. Mm -hmm. Because when I think about it, like it it is a good movie. Like I can't, I can't sit here and be like, it's a bad movie. It's just, right. it'll never be my favorite timber. Right, right, right. Yeah, but and it 100% is a Christmas movie. Okay, so all three Christmas movies. Yeah. Die Hard, maybe by the skin of its teeth, according to you. Right. Um, but, in it, terms but it of squeaks the over the line. It but squeaks, it squeaks over, the line. over the line. So, yeah, we, Scotty and I, have to, so here's the deal. We decided to do this because, guys, there's just not a lot of Christmas stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> There's just not like we can. And and the thing when I sort of broached this idea, this uh, episode topic with Scotty, I was like, we're just we're also not super interested in the stories that there are out there about Christmas. And additionally, like the stories about Christmas are kind of there. We're not going to have a ton of new Christmas stories. Yeah. It's like I wanted to I was thinking like, oh, I should do a spooky Christmas story. But I'm like, what is there to do? Krampus? Like everyone knows Krampus. You know, like that was the other thing, too. I have nothing new to add to Krampus. Yeah. Is that if there was anything that was like very holiday themed, we would have had to, I think, do like a odds and ends episode because like there's there's not a ton of stuff that we could like dig deeply into. So this might be a little bit of a tradition that we kind of go over movies that you know and sort of are like art is we're gonna I, you know i really want to make you watch next year silent night deadly night okay 
<laughs> I am also hearing, did you watch the Krampus movie? Because I've heard like great things about that. I've movie. not watched it, but I've actually heard good things about it. It's one of those that I keep thinking I should watch. Yeah. So, uh, you know, there's that and we can, so yeah, this might sort of become the holiday tradition. Scrooged. Uh, That's another scr- one we could talk Scrooged. about. We'd also talked about lethal weapon, which, mm-hmm. you know, but you know, we could, you know, maybe see if we can give that one a shot. So yeah, that's why we did this. Uh, we hope you guys liked it. This episode should be coming out a couple of days before Christmas. If you celebrate, you know, happy Christmas. Hope everybody got presents. If you do not celebrate Christmas, happy December. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as we head into the end of the year, we hope everything's going good for you guys on New Year's Eve. Don't forget to celebrate responsibly and <laughs> do all of your New Year's traditions. I will be eating my grapes and counting my money and running around outside <laughs> with my luggage. Yep. Scotty got to witness that in person last year Mm -hmm. and other than that stay weird stay curious and we'll see you in a couple of weeks bye bye so listen friends we'll blow your mind with the finest nonsense we could find might be true and that's the weirdest